You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What is up, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside my co-host, James Montefusco and Kyle Russo here in the studio. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast tonight, as you can see on the ticker below, on Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports, on Instagram at Review and Preview. You can subscribe to the audio version on the anchor.fm slash Review and Preview and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. We got a lot of good content up there. I'm really excited to introduce our guest tonight, and he is the one, the only, Andy Hopper, the founder and host of The Brew Party. Andy, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Welcome. Gentlemen. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, You informed me, Tom, the first ever guest to appear on all three Review and Preview programs. Knock it off the list. I'm excited to be here Really excited for you guys to have me. Like Tom said, I am the founder, the host of the Brew Party Podcast. So I'm based out of Champaign, Illinois. You can see behind me that University of Illinois flag. That is uh, where I'm at. So I'm about two and a half hours south of Chicago. I release two podcasts, episodes every week, uh, usually live stream on either Mondays, Wednesdays. And then we have our gambling segment with my good buddy, Ryan Maloney, live streamed every Thursday. Uh, really rough week for me this last week, fellas. I went three and five. This NFL Sunday really sucked. I don't know about you. Uh, but yeah, check me out, The Brew Party. Find us on Facebook at The Brew Party Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Brew Party as well, as you can see right there. And then wherever you get your podcasts, we're there, guys. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Uh, we're now on Pandora Radio as well. Or you can just go to uh, www.thebrewparty.com. So we're pretty similar to this show, except I, I, I drink beer and shoot the shit, talk about sports. I've had Thomas on, need to get James and Kyle on as well in the future. But yeah, we actually have uh, Sam Cardona, uh, former guest of this show in Big Blue Avenue, coming on Wednesday, so tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be live streaming, talking about NFL Week 11, previewing the Thanksgiving games, and of course, talking about her show and all of that good stuff. Tom, Kyle, James, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for being on with us, man. No problem. Looking forward to it. So before we move any further, just want to quickly acknowledge tonight that tonight's show is dedicated to the uh, co-founder and creator of the Ice Bucket Challenge, Pat Quinn, who passed away over the weekend on Sunday, helped raise $220 million to fight ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. He promoted the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge back in 2014. He died Sunday at 37 years of age in his hometown Yonkers, New York, representing County Kerry tonight here uh, on the show. So um, thank you very much. Uh, as James clicks the banner there, thank you very much for showing that, James. It's a little appreciative post on this uh, Thanksgiving week. So the topics tonight, we're going to talk about some NBA free agency. Then we're going to dive into some college football talk. Andy had me on his new college football show Um on Friday with Brian McArdle from Florida. That was a very interesting trio we had, Andy. And that was I hope, awesome. I hope to do that again with you guys soon. It was definitely a lot of fun. And then we're going to talk some NFL news, and Andy will touch upon your uh, Chicago Bears. We don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we might as well. Uh, right. You know, we are um, the three of us are Giants fans, but we're definitely, um, you know, probably not going to touch upon them tonight since we had their bye week. Uh, we'll show that on Big Blue Avenue tomorrow with myself and Hank. So I want to get to this NBA draft. This was very exciting to watch because I think this was the least we've seen from the prospects leading up to the draft in a while. And I, I know, Kyle, right. you cover this draft live at Hofstra. What was that experience like for you? And what were your thoughts on the first couple of picks? I mean, the first couple of picks, we knew that it was going to be a crapshoot in the sense that either one of those three top guys could have gone at number one. There was an argument for each and every one of them. Um, especially the Timberwolves, because the Timberwolves were in an odd situation. Could they roll a guy like Wiseman at the five and play Towns at the four? Could they draft LaMelo, start him at the one, and D'Angelo at the two? Or could they pick Anthony Edwards, which they winded up doing, based on the fact that his ranking last year coming into this season was the number one overall prospect in college basketball, and he went number one. So you got to give credit to Minnesota. They drafted the best player. If he doesn't pan out, there's no knock against it. But at Hofstra, was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of enjoyment, a little bit of stress running in and out of studio, obviously under uh, COVID restrictions and requirements, having trades. Oh, so many picks were traded during that night. Um, a lot of confusion with the picks, too. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was trades happening with picks. And then there was random teams. I remember the 16th overall pick. It said it belonged to, like, Portland or something. And then winded up going to Houston and then winded up going to Detroit. But nobody knew that, so people were running in the end of the studio. But it was a lot of fun. Had a great time. Um, but happy to be back on with you guys as well. Now, Andy, your Chicago Bulls picked fourth. And then when you saw the first three picks off the board, it was Anthony Edwards followed by James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball. And there was a lot of talks about Obi Toppin, Devin Avdia, but Patrick Williams at number four. This man was not even a starter at Florida State. I believe he won NCAA sixth man of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what are your thoughts on this pick? Instant reaction on draft night is who the hell is Patrick Williams? Um, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of Florida State basketball myself, but looking over it, watching some highlights and looking over his stats, you know, there were a couple guys you mentioned. I, I kind of wanted eight no stop and OB Toppin. Of course, he ends up in New York, but. I, you know, you, you don't hate it because I mentioned to you before the show, Thomas, like uh, as much as I've been clamoring for Gar Pax to be fired uh, over the past X amount of years and they finally make that move. First draft under this new regime, I, I think it's hard to really criticize the pick if I was one of the ones criticizing the old front office. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with it. So yeah, 6'8", 225. He's 19 years old, one of the youngest prospects in the draft. So he's a like you said, he only spent one year at Florida State. He's like two years removed from high school. Number four, or top 40 prospect coming out of high school in Charlotte. Plays that one year at Florida State. You know, he never started, but he was on the ACC All-Freshman Team first team and ACC Sixth Man of the Year, uh, like you said, Tom. But, you know, 29 career games in college, 9.2 and four uh, rebounds in about 22 and a half minutes of action is not too bad. You know, shooting 83% from the free throw line, I believe led Florida state, you know, that's pretty impressive as a freshman leaves something to be desired from three point range, you know, only average uh, 32% uh, 
uh, field goal percentage there from beyond the arc. But as a whole, shooting 45 or just a tick under 46, 45.9% from the field. So I think he's got a lot of upside. He's a, he's a real plus defender. So he's got a real good all-around game. He's, he's going to be able to make an impact defensively right away. You know, he averaged one block and one steal per game last season at FSU. Talk about being a freshman. That's pretty impressive as well. You know, he can guard the one through the five. He's six foot eight. He's 225. He's long and athletic. That's kind of where the NBA is going right now, right? You want positionless basketball. You want guys that can you can move around the floor. Um, he's got really good elite explosiveness at the rim. You know, he to get up and block those shots and explosiveness. Uh, he can be a lob threat on the other side, playing off the ball. He's got elite quickness as well. He's got potential to be a very good defender in this league. I think the question is how well uh, can he round his offensive game? He, uh, as a slasher, I believe he can do some pretty good things in this league. I think he's got to work on his jumper a little bit. You know, he's got, he's got some touch on those wide open ones, but that's definitely something he's got to work on a more consistent jumper. So as a whole, when I kind of went back and researched it, I'm okay with the pick right now. Um, be interested to see how he fits in, you know, with this young core. How soon do we see him making an impact in Chicago? I love your analysis there, Andy. And again, this was a great young talent out of Florida State. But I've got to tell you, I was talking to Kyle about this and we thought this was too early for Patrick Williams to go. We thought this was a reach by the Chicago Bulls. Now, I know you're a Bulls fan, and you've seen teams in the past. You've seen the Ben Gordons, the Luol Dengs, the Derek Roses. You've seen all the Joe though, like all those great Bulls teams. But, like, does this guy fit into the long-term success? I think he's more of a project. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know if he's ready to come in right away and be a, a starter for this team. But, Kyle, what's your thoughts on that? I, I just don't like the pick. I feel like Chicago is a team where they're not a team where you could say, if you're a fan, where it's like, all right, trust what they're doing, and hopefully the player will develop. I think the one sense of hope mm. with this Patrick Williams pick, um, which has not really been brought up that much, is that now he's being coached by Billy Donovan, who's fantastic, who's a mm-hmm. fantastic coach, and I think can help him get to that next level. But the Bulls are a team, not that they're ready to compete yet, for a team that should be looking for a type of finished product type of player. A guy in Obi Toppin was probably not a guy that they thought to pick after. Not because he wasn't a fantastic player. He was. But he's a guy that just, as much as I like him for the Knicks, he just cannot play defense. That'll come right. with time, especially playing under Thibodeau. But he cannot play defense. He's a great scorer. He gets his own shot. He drives the lane efficiently. And he's a guy that's going to put people in the seats. But that would probably be the one knock against him for Chicago. Uh, drafting Denny, that's another pick where you could say, you know, not a lot of tape on this guy. And I think he only averaged around 12 points per game um, in wherever he played. I, Israel, I believe he played in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaac Aquara was more of a defensive guy as well, not really an offensive weapon. Killian Hayes, another guy overseas, France, I believe he played. Uh, more of an offensive guy, but a smaller point guard. And then who? And then uh, Akongwu out of uh, USC went number six. That was another pick where it's like, well, they kind of already have that type of player in Wendell Carter Jr. So I guess this pick makes sense for the Bulls in that aspect. But I think this is a guy in which the Bulls, especially not having a lot of assets at their disposal, could have traded back and gotten this guy at like a number, like could have fleeced the Knicks potentially, trade number eight and make them reach for Toppin and make them believe that they were going to take Toppin because apparently that was the Knicks guy all along and he just fell to him. 
But if that was their guy, that could have been a guy that I believe would have been there at like eight or not. Not yeah, a guy that you reach it for. He probably would have. I agree. And it does. It is kind of questionable that, you know, they don't go get a guy to go with this young core that could play right away. Like, like you said, this is a project, you know, he's not going to be making an impact on this roster. I don't think this next season, I think we'll see his minutes probably increase as the year goes on. Uh, look for a slow start. But like we said, this kid's 19. Like there's yeah. a lot of room for this kid to grow. And I think they definitely saw him more as a get one piece that we see five years down the road. I guess they're still really in a rebuilding mode here, not looking to win now, which is frustrating as a Bulls fan, you know, and I, Kyle, I'm just glad we didn't have the seventh overall pick for the millionth year in a row. Maybe that's, maybe that's what happened. They're just so used to picking at seven that they just took the guy that would be there at seven. I think that. Yeah. Listen, if you look at past drafts, the number four pick, and I, and I hate to say this, the number four pick in the past, especially in recent years has been horrible. Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, these fourth overall picks don't pan out. They wait, not- wait, wait, wait. Kristaps Porzingis, come on. I mean, I mean, you could say he panned out. He's injury prone. Uh, he can't. He can't stay on the court more than he stays on the bench. He's a great player when he's on the court. Oh, he can't please, stay on the court. Kyle. Please. <laughs> Stop it. We are the Jekyll and Hyde of Reeve and Preview, Andy. Anything that one of us says, the other will disagree. And it it happens at like the worst times too. Like when the Giants are winning, we're both Giants fans. We'll have arguments with each other that over nothing. Like we'll be winning. That's the the highlight. That's the highlight. Giants are the highlight. Um, That's the highlight of the show. Um, But speaking of the Knicks, the number eight pick did fall to them and Obi Toppin was still on the board. I think they got an absolute steal. Now I understand Julius Randle is still on their contract and they do play the same position. However, I think Randall becomes expendable once his contract is up. And then Obi Toppin, he's probably he, – I mean, there, I don't know if he's going to start right away. I'm not saying that. But he's going to play a lot of minutes. And if you're looking for the best player, first of all, Toppin's from Brooklyn. So this is a guy that's very familiar with the New York area. This move is James and Kyle dread hearing me say. Geographically, it made sense. It did um, make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, Obi Toppin to the Knicks, I love this pick. Uh, sophomore out of Dayton. This is a guy that you want to have. He can shoot the rock, good stretch four player. He's dominant inside, too. He rebounds well, and he's got a great basketball IQ. Uh, what were your guys' instant thoughts when the Knicks selected Obi Toppin? One quick thing I have, and I'll have Andy and Kyle analyze it deeper. Um, but having him, he's, he's a New York-based person in Brooklyn. A lot of New York fans are now going to be watching him, and he's going to have the New York fan base around him again. Because yeah. the Knicks, for, th- for a number of years, were like, they really didn't have anybody good, in a sense, but by having a New York-bred player on their team, the Knicks are going to kind of get back to where they kind of were with the fans' opportunity. That was the quick point I just wanted to make. You guys can go deeper now into that. Yeah, no, I, I even though they needed a point guard and Tyrese Halliburton was the, the name that was linked to them, I think this is the best thing that the Knicks organization has done since bringing over Mello from Denver. So, like, the last decade was probably one of the best things that they've done. Homegrown kid from New York, from Brooklyn. Uh, we've all seen the infamous picture of him as a kid wearing the Latrell Speedwell jersey. It was a meant to happen. Number eight gets drafted, number eight overall to the Knicks. Um NCAA player, college player of the year. 
I believe he averaged around 20, 22 points a game. The Knicks needed a score. Is he a liability on defense? Yes, but Tom mm-hmm. Thibodeau will straighten that out over the course of a season. We know the Knicks aren't a team that are going to be contending at this moment in time. So when you say that they needed a point guard, it's not like the point guard was going to make a difference or not. No matter how good he was with the Knicks making the playoffs this year, it just wasn't going to happen. You, you build next year and hopefully you now become more of an attractive place with Obi Toppin maybe leading the charge second year of R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson coming into his own, maybe developing more of a shot outside of three feet. Julius Randle is still a guy that can give you 20 and 10 a night. I mean, he did it with the Knicks. He's still a good scorer. And if Alfred Payton is your starting point guard, that's not too bad. But again, you guys, uh, the, the Knicks are not going to be a winning team anyway. I think this is something that Knicks fans should be excited about. I'm excited about it, and I'm not even a Knicks fan. But I'll be tuned. I will definitely be tuning into more MSG Knicks games. I, I could guarantee you that just because this kid is putting on uh, the New York Blue and Orange, I think he's going to do a great job. I think I think the Knicks got a keeper here. I think they finally getting a pick in this year's draft. I think with confidence, a lot of people could say. I think the Knicks nailed this. And if it doesn't pan out, I don't think there's no knock against the picks for, in terms of the Knicks selection because this guy was really the best player left on the board, in my personal opinion at least. Are you concerned with his size and his position? He's like a 6'8", 6'9", and he's going to play the four? Is that, that – that concerns me a little bit. The size the size aspect definitely concerns me with the, with the top and pick. We saw – 22 uh, points a game. Let's look at the conference he played in. No no shade against Dayton. They were a great basketball team. You look at the A-10, I believe the they had five or six teams that all had 21-plus wins, and Dayton was the only surefire NCAA tournament team. And you look at a guy like Luca Garza at Iowa, averages 24-10 and 10 in the Big Ten that had a 10-tournament, 10 uh, 10-team, 10 10 teams in that conference were making the tournament. I, I don't think Toppin was the player of the year. Uh, sure, his through the leg dunks and um, all of that were cool. Uh, would I be saying this if he went to the Bulls? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. The truth comes out. The truth comes out. But um, I think he's going to be a really good player. I like what he brings. Like you said, scoring wise, I am a little concerned. You know, this was a guy that he had to go to a year of prep school to even get a Division One offer, and he lands at Dayton. Uh, and like I just said, Dayton is a good basketball program. Let's not act like they're a blue blood. Um, they are one of the better mid-majors. But I, well, the thing that concerns me about Toppin is his size and playing the four. I, I'd like him a lot better if he shifted down to the three. So before we move on from this, here's my take on Obi Toppin. I thought the Knicks were going to draft Devin Vassell, also from Florida State. I felt like he was the most Tom Thibodeau breed type of player in, in this portion of the draft. And he was still on the board. I thought the Knicks would have taken him. I thought that would have been like the New York Knicks pick to make. But, I mean, it's really hard to pass up on Obi Toppin. I think part of the issues with having him come into New York uh, is the fact that they already have a power forward in Julius Randle. And if, you know, you're looking to win now, then you need like a point guard. But the Knicks are never planning to win now. They're looking to build for the future. And then once these rookies start coming out of that rookie contract, they want to leave because they don't want to play there anymore. Uh, The fact that you drafted a New York guy at Obi Toppin who wants to play for the Knicks is the reason why I think this is a good pick. And we get to Grant Baker's comment here. Uh, Toppin's age would turn me off. He's 22, Bulls pick, although kind of out of nowhere. 
uh, is barely 19. What do you think, I, Andy? I just don't see the age I, really I, being a factor. I, just I don't agree. See it. I, that's the biggest thing in the NBA this year. Like how many, how many 22 year olds do you see go in the, in the top 10? They, the NBA yeah. front offices are, they don't want these college seniors, these co- yeah. these three or four year college players anymore. They want young because if they bust that it's, there's just so much more to work with. I think yeah. with they're that young and that raw uh, as far as talent goes. And I'm not saying that Toppin's going to be a bad player. I do love the pick for the Knicks, the hometown guy. You saw how emotional he got and how much that means to him. That's right. awesome. I think it is a good pick for the Knicks. I do think you could make a case that Tyrese Halliburton was there and he could have been the guy. But like you said, Kyle, does it matter to get a point guard right now? Uh, this is going to be, a, a, I think, a great pick for when fans are able to come back as somebody that will bring people out to Madison Square Garden and get a good face for that franchise. I do like the Obi Toppin pick. I'm a little mm-hmm. skeptical about how his game is going to translate over. Um, obviously, a freak athlete, and what he was able to do last year was really fun to watch. I hope that continues. I'm just a little curious if that six eight six nine frame will be sustainable at the four uh, every night. Well, they could they could play him at the three easily because I know that when You're Julius right. Randle was with the Pelicans for that one or two seasons and Anthony Davis was there, Anthony Davis played the five and Randle played the four. Right. So you could have a Knicks lineup of Alfred Payton, R.J. Sure. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. I don't think that's the problem. When it comes to the age, this is my argument, is that Patrick Williams is so raw by the time that he gets to a solid player, he'll probably be yeah. 22 years old, right? Obi mm-hmm. Toppin, the really only lack in his game right now is that defensive capability. And I think that with the help of Tom Thibodeau there, that will sure fire and be easily the only thing in really which they have to work on because he has pretty much everything else in his game right now. And um, especially because the Knicks aren't going to be a team that people are going to be watching, it's going to be easier for him to develop. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, none of everybody's I mean, watching the Bulls either, so I, I feel you on that. But I'm also very familiar with Tom Thibodeau. So look for him to play your starters for like 40 minutes a game in the middle oh, yeah. of January when it doesn't matter. Like, uh, look for that. I think – I don't look for him to burn out his players, but I do think there is something to be said for rest in today's NBA and not having to grind out those, you know, those 38 minutes a game for your top your top guy in, in the middle of January, in the, in the right. middle of December when it's – you know, you're, you're just, I guess, in, in today's NBA or this year's NBA, it'll just be even going uh, with the later start. But I don't know. I, I think I love Tom Thibodeau. I actually really dislike them getting rid of him in Chicago just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very homer for that. You know, some of my favorite teams were those teams that he led to the playoffs with Derrick mm-hmm. Rose, Joakim Noah, Carlos Boozer, Luol Dang, all of those guys. So Jimmy Butler. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Thibodeau in New York, but I think that is a storyline to watch is uh, minutes per game for Toppin uh, this year. How how yeah. how much, how quickly is, is Thibodeau going to be comfortable uh, giving him? It's definitely a good point. And moving on from that, they did address the point guard need later on in the draft. They traded up. They traded the 27th and 38th picks for the 25th pick, I believe. Or was it 23rd? I believe it was 25th. The- the Bulls? No, it was 20. Uh, the Knicks traded up. The, the Knicks traded up for Emmanuel quickly. Acquired uh, acquired via trade for 27th and 38th picks. Okay. So he was out of Kentucky. This is a good young point guard for them. Mm-hmm. And then they also 
signed undrafted rookie free agent Miles Powell out of Seton Hall, who is not very far from New York either. He played his college ball at Seton Hall. So he also made a lot of good plays in the big dance. He has that experience. So I think these are two young guys that could provide excitement for the Knicks as well. So overall, I think it was a good night for New York. I know Brooklyn ended up trading away their 19th pick, so they really didn't do much on draft night besides taking Reggie Perry out of Mississippi State, number 57 overall. And Kyle, a lot of people thought that was a steal for Brooklyn, that um, he landed there and that Brooklyn's draft night kind of flew under the radar because a lot of people forget what they got in return for the 19th pick. They got Landry Shamit from the L.A. Clippers, who is a vital shooter, and he could also defend pretty good too. Uh, I kind of like what Brooklyn did on draft night. Yeah, look, Brooklyn is a Brooklyn is a team we talk about product and production and where they stand. They're a finished product. They're just they're just adding the most capable caliber NBA players left. They don't have time for projects, which is usually in that bottom half of the teens and the twenties, in which teams can afford to do that. Not that Brooklyn can't afford to do that, but they rather have a pro caliber ready player. And Landry Shamet has been right. that sharp shooter, adding that to Brooklyn's offense and defense as well. It doesn't get anything. You're not going to get that at the 19th overall pick. I know that. Detroit winded up picking Sadiq Bay with that pick, which is a nice pick. But I, I would still take a guy who's played NBA minutes over anybody right. because he knows right. what he's doing, and especially a guy who's played in playoff games before, whether it was with the Sixers or whether it was with the Clippers this past season. I'd take that over anything at 19. Yeah. Andy, Sean Marks stated he was very surprised that this pick landed to them. And, again, Kyle just brought it up. Older players, Reggie Perry is 20. Uh, their undrafted rookie, Nate Sestina from Kentucky, was a Bucknell grad transfer, so he's older as well, 22-23. Uh, what do you make of the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, you got to say the biggest acquisition this offseason for the Nets is a healthy Kevin Durant, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like what they did. Anytime you can add Landry Shamit, a guy that, you know, played valuable minutes for the Clippers and was getting first-team reps, I think he's definitely going to be somebody that can come into Brooklyn and help them out. Uh, I like what they did. I like what they did. I think getting KD back is the biggest thing. We've saw we've seen rumors all offseason that they're going to trade for James Harden. I don't know if that's actually yeah. a thing or, or what's going on with that, but – as far as the position they're in right now, I think they set themselves up uh, to be a better basketball team next year. Very true. And now we move on to um, – actually, first off, uh, James, who was your winner of the NBA draft on draft night? Yeah, My I want your winner. Jeez, um, <laughs> all right. Well, just throw me on the spot. Um, honestly, it's – I don't know, to be honest with you. I got one. Maybe straight up. I'm not sure. I think all the top 10 picks were phenomenal for the team. I would probably say the Knicks, only because they bring that homegrown talent back into that stadium when they're allowed to have fans. I know Andy was saying with his height and stuff, playing in that four spot. Um, but I think in a in an outside homegrown talent, I think he's the beneficial one. What do you think, Andy? Uh, so I actually have a few, but I'll go into depth with really one. So Oklahoma City, 
And it's not really because of the players they selected, but the amount of picks that they were able to acquire. So Oklahoma City acquired a total of 16 first-round picks and four pick swaps. They're starting from scratch, completely rebuilding this uh, franchise, and what better way to do it with as many picks as possible? You know, obviously they're just picks, and you have to see who they take uh, with them. You know, most of them do have potential to be, you know, mid-round picks. Those aren't always the best guys but sometimes you do kind of strike a diamond in the rough in the rough there uh, if they do end up panning out. You know, Sam Presti has done a terrific job once again as the GM of this team. Uh, he's put OKC in an excellent position to you know start their rebuild. You know, see what they have with these young guys. They do acquire that big contract of Al Horford, but you're talking about 16 first round picks over the next what four or five years. That that not. <laughs> ridiculous. And then look at also not just what he's been able to do on draft night, but how he's been able to pressure teams that have been wanting to contend to get those extra assets. Look at what he was able to get for Paul George from the Clippers, what he was able to get for uh, Russell, Russell Westbrook to Houston, and now getting even more assets, sending Chris Paul to Phoenix this offseason. My winner on draft night is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Who knows? If the number 16 overall overall pick, I don't even know how to say his name, like Alexi Pokachev or so, something Poke like Savage. Poke, Poke Savage, thank you, uh, will even play or how soon he'll be in a Thunder uniform. But I like what Oklahoma City did. Also love what Sacramento did, taking Halliburton at 12. I think that's a steal. And then the Nuggets, able to acquire R.J. Hampton with the 24th pick in the draft. They're uh, so Ky- good, man. Kyle so good. was – yeah, you were mentioning earlier that uh, – you know, there were so many picks where you just did, didn't even know who was who. So they get the 24th pick in a draft day deal with the Pelicans. This is the third year in a row. Then they do it again. So they have a high projected pick that slides down and they get him. They got Michael Porter Jr. a few years ago. They got Bull Bull in the second round last year. And now they get R.J. Hampton, a legit five-star recruit that would have gone to Kansas, ends up going down to New Zealand playing for the Breakers. But uh, I like what the Nuggets, the Kings, and Oklahoma City did on draft day. And Grant says he likes what Golden State did. Sucks that Clay is out, but there's a chance they just stole Wiseman. More games in college. He could have easily went number one. Um, yeah, and I think they really got lucky with who was ahead of them. Minnesota really didn't need a big at number one. They needed right. a guard, so that really benefited them too. I also like how Golden State added uh, Nico Mannion and Justinian Jessup in the second round. I think those were two wild card type of picks. A lot of people had Nico Mannion going towards the end of the first round. The fact that he fell to the latter. I think he was or something like 48. that. 48. He fell to 48. 48. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of guys that fell. Yeah. Um, he also, Grant also has another comment there. Yeah. All those picks for OKC are such great trade at trade assets to get that championship piece. That's a great point as well. They put themselves in position to, to be, first in this trade market go out and get anybody and attract uh, a star to come in you know it's a small market team there's not a lot of big stars want to play for small markets but you got to like what they did great point there grant yeah they'll just redo what they did a couple years ago you know pg bringing him in victor depot bringing him in Mm -hmm. uh, back from orlando that's what they wind up doing and my winner real quick uh 76ers a lot of people gave him a lot of knock going into the season Daryl Morey came in, who kind of messed things up, I guess you'd say, or didn't do the greatest of jobs with Houston, but came into the 76ers, offloaded Al Horford's massive contract, which is just 
in itself a winner. Forget about the draft, but that's a winner right there. Mm-hmm. You get rid of uh, Josh Richardson, who I love, but you bring in a sharpshooter, which they were missing in Seth Curry. Uh, you get Danny Green, who, you know, the knock against him, a career 40% three-point shooter. And they also added, added Kentucky Tyrese Maxey, who is probably one of the most underrated players in this draft. And yeah, can really be an effective. He could be an effective player off the bench for the 76ers, yeah. no doubt. So I think that they had a really good draft, really good, I guess you'd say, offseason in a sense. And they got rid of uh, Horford's $81 million contract, that atrocious contract they signed him to yeah. last year. That's a win. I yeah. had them as one of my free agency winners for sure. Like, I agree with everything you just said about uh, Curry and Green. Yeah. As far as the draft goes, I'm going Charlotte because they got LaMelo Ball at three, who was definitely not the third best player in the draft. Um and then they ended up getting Vernon Carey early in the second round out of Duke, who I believe is the first Duke player off the board. So it just goes to show you right there. You get the best player in this year's draft for Duke, that tells you something, especially in round two. I know Duke didn't have as many big name like Zion Williamson players this year. and You're not going to see those often at all in any year for that matter. But I think that was a great pick. And then Grant Riller, guys. 56 overall. Everyone sleeps on this guy. Uh, this guy didn't play at a big-name school. I believe he played for Charlotte. Uh, right there. I mean, people are like, where? So I think Grant Riller is a good <laughs> young talent. I actually had him going. I think I had him. It was like early second round. So the fact that he fell to one of the final five picks is insane. But uh, let's get into free into free agency. We won't spend as much time on this because – majority of it's over and um, you know we have more time to talk about it as we get closer to the season but some of the top free agent signings include well we know Fred Van Vliet was retained by the Toronto Raptors he was probably one of the top three biggest names and then Michael Jordan throws the bank at Gordon Hayward I believe four years 120 million which is more than <laughs> and, and Andy is laughing right now I'm laughing at James because uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can't even keep a straight face. Yeah, he just paid Michael Jordan. Just paid uh, Gordon Hayward like more than he ever made during his NBA career. It was just r- ridiculous. Nope. What are you? What are you doing? What I mean is this because they signed him to that offer sheet way back when when he was still with Utah and was kind of committed to him. Michael Jordan as a player, my goat as a GM. I don't think it was that bad to be honest with you. I don't think much money. Bad. I don't think. I'm- James, he scored. Well, that's 18, the NBA. That's the NBA. He scored eighteen points this season per game as the fourth option on a team. If you put the ball in his hands more, right. which he will, I'll give you with, that. With Charlotte, he will be probably back to that Utah level caliber player. Maybe not the same defensive presence, mm. but offensively, he'll be there. On top of the fact it's a small market team, right? The thing with Gordon Hayward is uh, the biggest surprise with him is that. He wanted to go to Indiana, didn't get to Indiana, and then the Knicks. I can't believe the Knicks didn't throw the bag at him. I thought that was going to be the team he was going to end up with. Yeah, but uh, that was huge. I think that thirty million a year is too much for Gordon Hayward. Um, but it was an excellent acquisition by Charlotte. They needed him. They they needed that guy on their team, and they got him a guy to pair in with Devontae Graham. And let's not forget 
This is the same owner who grossly overpaid Terry Rozier. Thank you, Henry. I was just about to say. I was just. I was just about to say they, they're they're no they're no stranger to overpaying guys. Bismack Biombo, Bismack Biombo, Michael Kidd Gilstri- Michael Kidd Gilchrist, um, Nicholas, Nicholas Patum. Patum. Yeah, yeah. This is this is nothing new for the Hornets. And you know, I hope it works out for them because they're, they're going to be a fun young team. You talk about how good PJ Washington was for them last year. And then miles bridges, miles bridges, Devonte Graham is an underrated point guard in this league. You know, he's undersized, but he had a really good year last year. I'm interested to see how Lamella will fit in. And then you put Gordon Hayward at the three. I mean, like you said, Kyle, I will give them credit. I didn't, I didn't realize he averaged 18 points a game. Uh, so that changes my tune here a little bit, but like you said, Thomas, I think 30 mil a year, for this guy is it's just a little bit too much but that is the way the nba is going it's just you'll you'll especially during free agency you'll be like who just got that much money like it just ridiculous just no name guys not that gordon hayward is no name by any means but you know what i mean right a lot of guys were retained in this free agency bertans re-signed with the wizards which i think shocked some people and then bogdan bogdanovich who I understand he's probably heading to Atlanta. Sacramento does not have much more time to match the offer sheet, but um, I'm a little disappointed. I thought he was going to Milwaukee. That would have been nice, but I'm kind of glad we get to keep guys like DiVincenzo on our roster now as well because I thought he was part of that future, and it did save us a lot of money where we were able to waive Ilyasova to save that $7 million. Um, But the biggest name is Montrezl Harrell. Oh, I was so sad world. when that happened. I was <laughs> and then so Schroeder, sad. him and Schroeder now on the same team. Yeah, I want to. I, I got to ask you about that because that was that was two of the most ridiculous things that I've, I think I've ever seen. Montrezl Harrell easily could, if Davis Bertans is getting eighty-two million dollars <laughs> over the course of five years, Montrezl Harrell could have easily gotten that. That's one. And then Dennis Schroeder, and I have to bring this guy's name into the bunch as well. Drew Holiday, we obviously know what went down in that trade to bring him to Milwaukee. I have to ask this. The Lakers traded the first-round pick, which was the 28th overall, and Danny Green, and got probably the second-best six men in the entire NBA who put up basically the same exact stats as Drew Holiday. Yet Milwaukee gave up three first-round picks, two pick swaps, and two players to get Drew Holiday. It doesn't make any sense, and it's almost, in a sense, embarrassing. Okay. I think I think it's I think it's it's one Milwaukee's more in a desperation mode right now, thinking what can we do to keep Giannis while LA is kind of like we just want a title. I I don't think they 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 I don't feel like they're in the position where they where they have to do that. I think Thomas is going to know more than me as a Milwaukee fan. I'm also curious. You know, I like Drew Holiday a lot. He's a really good defender. Who's the primary ball handler on this team now? So if the season started today, it would either be Holiday or DJ Augustine. And my assumption is that it would be DJ Augustine as the starting point guard right now, who, you know, don't get me wrong, he was a starter in Orlando for years after being a backup for quite some time. And I think he'd be able to flourish in this system. But I don't necessarily think he has to start because, remember, Drew Holiday was a point guard for Philadelphia mm-hmm. early on in his career. So if you really want him, you can go holiday, DiVincenzo, Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke. And that's a real solid five. And then bring Augustine off the bench. What they're looking to do is have Augustine come off the bench and have holiday and DiVincenzo kind of be like, kind of like a two man backcourt. Like there's mm-hmm. no straight cut point guard. Cause DiVincenzo is right. basically replacing 
Wesley Matthews. If you look at their starting lineup, their starting lineup upgraded. And if you look at their bench, and again, maybe I'm a little biased, I think their bench is pretty darn good, if, especially if Augustine comes off the bench. You brought Pat Connaughton back on a good three-year deal, which I think he deserved. And then Bobby Portis, who is an upgrade over Ursan Ilyasova, 100% at this point in his career. And then Torrey Craig, who used to start for the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian Forbes from the Spurs, who averaging eight, nine points a game. You didn't get yeah. that last year from a lot of these guys. George Hill really struggled. Augustine's an upgrade over George Hill. Portis is an upgrade over Ilyasova. You could argue they're still looking for a backup center. You would hope DJ Wilson would come on, and then you just drafted Jordan Nuora out of Louisville, who's going to come off the bench as well. So we're not even in, including him. So your bench is actually looking pretty, pretty darn good. It's not the best bench, as Grant says. Milwaukee may have just traded away the reasons for Giannis to stay. Uh, what What do you mean? Or by the by, the draft picks is that what you mean? Like the I don't the, I, the potential. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I disagree I think with that. I, I disagree with that. If he's referring to Bledsoe and Hill, I definitely disagree. No, no, no. Um, I think he's talking about just their 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 draft capital because I they they mortgaged away their future in hopes of getting Giannis, and I think they had to. They had no choice mm-hmm. but to do it. But I really right. the way this NBA is turning, and you could disagree with it all you want is that if I'm Giannis, yes, I don't want to give up on the money. But in reality, what are the teams that are winning that have? Right. They have two caliber stars, and that's just not Milwaukee. You know, Chris Middleton is no – he might be an all-star. He's not that player. Drew Holiday is there, but he's now going to be 31 in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, Middleton is also in his 30s. Brooke Lopez is in his no, 30s. He's not. How old is Middleton, 28, 29? Middleton yeah. is 29, and Drew Holiday is 30. He's he just 30. turned 30 this year. This is an aging team. If I'm Giannis, I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm not mortgaging away my future. for Their bench just got younger, Kyle. Their bench <laughs> just got a lot younger. Their, their number two guard just got younger. You went from 32 to 23. <laughs> and How old Chenzo. is DJ Augustine? He's in his he, 30s. Yeah. It's the same thing as George Hill, but he scores more. He scores more. And I mean, Bobby Forrest is a guy that couldn't even get his option picked up by the Knicks. <laughs> this Bryn, is going Forbes, off the rails. Bryn Forbes is decent. He's a decent player. But I just think that in order to win, especially now the way this league is turning, gotcha, we'll go Grant. back to the Thank Lakers. You. No worries. Going back to the Lakers. Teams just want to win championships. They don't care about the money anymore. That If the Lakers doesn't, if the Lakers offseason doesn't prove that, that's what it is, is that they don't care. They want to win the ring because at the end of the day, that's how they'll be defined in their career. And in order for Giannis to win, especially in this East, because this East just got a whole lot better, he needs another capable star. And because of the fact that Milwaukee is so small market and because of the fact they just gave away their entire future for the next five, six years. Disagree with that, but okay. I don't I – don't, whatever. Just trade, trade away their entire future for the next five to six years. Things change on the dime in the NBA. They change on the dime. They could trade guys for draft picks. You saw what they did this year. They traded – back into the draft to get number 45, which was good. They didn't have a draft. They had to trade back in to get that pick. They got in the war, and they ended up getting Sam Merrill with the last pick. But are these guys going to be in the G League to start the year, or are they going to actually get some minutes? Probably not. That's, that's What the do reality. you mean? Jordan, Jordan Nwora is going to come off the bench. No, Sam Jordan, Merrill? Sam Jordan Nwora was played for the Nigerian national team, was their best player as an 18-year-old. I think he's a legit Legit guy. He, he's they, good out of Louisville. We got better shooting-wise 
as well. But I think you guys lost defense. You guys lost defense. How did we lose defense? Drew Holiday is pretty much you as lost good Bledsoe. of a defender as Bledsoe. You lost Bledsoe. How? You... Holiday's just as good of a defender, <laughs> if not better than Bledsoe. Holiday's I a better just, defender than Bledsoe, and I'll put I'll put money on that. I yeah. just don't. They may have gotten a little better, but there's no way that you're con- going to convince me that they're going to be championship level. I just don't see it. I don't see it. You need that second star. They don't have it. They just don't have it. I'm just saying it. if, and again, I'm not making an excuse for the, for this team, but if the Bucks Heat well, series was in was not in the bubble, it would have been. It would have been more better off. It did. Apparently, it you weren't matter. there for the. Apparently, you weren't there when we spoke with Dan Pfeiffer live on Review Preview when he said <laughs> the bubble has affected the Bucks most more than any other team. And is that an is that an excuse? No, it's the reality of the situation. They did not look good. We got hit with COVID, and it affected their play. Bledsoe played like trash the whole. The Heat. Season. The Heat had Kendrick Nunn and Bam Adebayo, two starters, have COVID, and then they went uh, to the NBA Finals. The reality is this, is that Giannis, the biggest question is this, if Giannis can develop a jumper, if he can shoot the basketball, they're going to the NBA Finals. He can't do that yet. And that's why they need that second star to be And that's why they added shooting around him, where now you have a big three in Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis, what they didn't have last year with Middleton, Giannis, and Bledsoe. That's a great point. That's that's what I was going to say, Thomas, is Drew Holiday is now a legit number three for them that they have not had the past I think he's their number two. Seasons. I think he's their number two. He's their number two over Middleton. I don't know about that. Yeah. but at, Middleton proved okay. himself in the playoffs that he just he cannot show up. What? Okay, so what you said about Giannis is true. He's got to develop a jump shot. I will go back to what I said earlier about them having a primary primary ball handler. I don't think, now that I'm thinking about it, it's it's not as big of a deal with how much they have Giannis bringing the ball up the floor and him initiating the offense. So we'll take that back a little bit. Uh, Thomas, I like, I like what you're saying. I see Kyle's argument as well, but I, I do think they got better as far as the point guard position goes. That's where I'm, that's where I'm just a little hesitant because holiday, like we said, he's played point guard in his career. He played point guard in college at UCLA. He was a very good point guard in college at UCLA. I might add, um, but you know, just from his time in New Orleans, you know, playing the two, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see how that's all going to work out. And with DiVincenzo not really being a, a true, a true one as well. So that, that's, that's my concern. What you said though, makes sense. They got more shooting. Their bench is a lot better. Um, I'm, I'm just going to be curious to see at that backup center role, like you said, at the one and, but defensively though, you have. Drew Holiday is going to be their best defender already. I think they might bring Ilyasova back on a vet minimum if he doesn't get signed. I think that's their best option. But thank goodness for Grant Baker uh, shifting <laughs> gears. And this is the last basketball topic before we get to our team of the week and then some college football folks. Uh, I think the Pelicans have quietly positioned themselves very well. They have Kyle no Russo does not agree. They have no shooters. <laughs> they have no shooters. <laughs> JJ Reddick, uh, the last I heard, JJ Reddick's one of the best shooters of all time. JJ Reddick, uh, Brandon Ingram can shoot pretty well. Brandon Ingram just resigned. Yeah. I'm talking about from beyond the perimeter. JJ Reddick is 36 years old, and hopefully, Kira Lewis develops. I, I hope he develops. Zion Williamson can't. You just traded for Steve Adams, so you got a guy that can only shoot within four feet, five feet. That's your center now. You have Jackson Hayes. I don't know what his development is. They. 
I think they'll be a good team, but they need more shooting. That's my personal opinion. Can I, I can, can, can I ask you a serious probing question? <laughs> yeah. Andy, <laughs> he's going to be wild today. Uh, why do you feel? Why do you feel the need to critique these in, these imperfections before? Like we haven't even finished free agency yet. You don't know who they're going to get. The Pelicans have positioned themselves. You said it yourself. The best player, the best player left in free agency is Hassan Whiteside. I don't count Anthony Davis. But what are you going to? What are you going to do? There's nobody left. This was a short free agency, and the season starts in a month. What are you going to do at this point? On the draft is over. I think they'll. I think they'll definitely listen. A full year of Zion. Is going to help them tremendously. Brandon Ingram, hopefully, he could keep it up. He just got Josh the Hart, pretty good shooter. Elijah Hughes, who they just drafted, pretty good shooter. Jackson Hayes is pretty solid. They, I mean, they got Eric Bledsoe. They got Eric Bledsoe as well. What, 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 what's your problem with Stephen Adams? What, what did he not do in Oklahoma City? Like, sure, he can't shoot, but I would take Stephen Adams over half of the big men in this league I'd he's gonna like, rebound like to the ball he'll he'll be the toughest player on this team he's not gonna take any shit from nobody he's a veteran presence that has been on good teams with this young core like what you would like to be around zion lonzo <laughs> and brandon ingram i don't i don't know what's not to like here you get a healthy zion this team can be dangerous I just think they need more. Lonzo's proven he can't shoot the ball yet. Eric Bledsoe proved himself out of Milwaukee that he can't shoot the ball. On top of the fact that, again, Ken Brandon Ingram averaged 28 points per game. Again, this was the first coming out year of him. Can he do that again? Did Steven Eric Adams really shoot himself Yes, out of, Mil- out of Milwaukee? You that was the whole really reason why they traded so. for Drew Holiday. You yes. really think so. It's yeah. because he couldn't score. It's not just because he couldn't shoot. He couldn't facilitate an offense the way that Giannis would like. And that's why they brought in Drew Holiday. They had to upgrade My their bad. team. Blood he couldn't through. get the ball in the basket enough times to keep him in Milwaukee. My Thank bad. you. And he forgets Thank to you. pass the ball inbounds. Yeah, uh, exactly. On on, th- on that note, James, is there anything you'd like to add to this absolute mess of a segment? <laughs> um, it, it brings me back to the time when we were in the studio arguing about Eli Manning. I, I'm just sitting behind the board and seeing you two go at it. So, no, not really. Um, it actually brings some fond memories back. Um, but you guys all make great points. I'm looking forward to the NBA season starting December, I believe it's 22nd. Um, so all your predictions are is either going to come true or they're just going to come flat on your faces. So That's I'm definitely point. looking forward to everybody's prediction. Not that I'm saying anything that came out of year three's mouth is wrong, but I want to see who eats the words come NBA time because we don't know what the NBA is going to hold again this year. It could, we could start out in their home stadiums and then transfer to a bubble, or we could start out in our home stadiums and have fans in it two and a half months later. We don't know, so I'm looking forward to it. That's all I got, Tom. Team of the week. All righty. <laughs> as we progress through the show, let's get to our team of the week. And Andy, as the guest, I would like to start with you, and you can tell us who your team of the week is and why. Any team in sports. Any team in sports, this team has not played yet this week, but they have three games. College basketball is back tomorrow. The Illini, my Illini, this is the most hyped up team, most hyped up year since 2005. That was the year that they were the runners up. Io DeSunmu, preseason All-American at point guard. Kofi Coburn uh, comes back after his outstanding uh, freshman year. Adam Miller, Andre Cabello. A couple of four-star freshman guards come into this team. How do they fit in the mix? Preseason number eight, 
Uh, they are the best team in the Big Ten. I'm booking that right now. They're better than Iowa. They're better than Wisconsin. Uh, they start out tomorrow versus NC State, or I'm sorry, NC A&T. Uh, so they play like NC A&T, Chicago State, and Ohio. So three cupcakes to start the year. But they have a primetime matchup with Baylor. And then they also go to Cameron Indoor to play Duke uh, in early December as well. This is this team has got me excited. Has got me jazzed up for college basketball again. Um, like I said, I'm 25, so when the, in 2005, I was in like the second grade. I was in like first first second grade, uh, and that was like literally the last team they have had a team that was this good, legit top ten national title contenders. Uh, so yeah, that's my team of the week: the Illinois Fighting Illini, led by Brad Underwood, Io Desunmu, Kofi Coburn, and the boys coming for the Natty Championship this year. I like it. And your Illinois football team is on a roll as well. Two uh, in a row! And a beautiful matchup against Ohio State upcoming on Saturday, which we'll get to that in just a few moments. But Kyle Russo, uh, you were next. The Lakers. It's hand down, hands down the Lakers. I mean, they, they we went into the NBA season saying they only have Anthony Davis and they only have LeBron James, and everything after that is a drop-off. Now they added the six-man and the six-man runner-up. And they added a great defensive presence in West Matthews. They added Marc Gasol, NBA champion. I mean, they just keep on adding. They won free agency. They won the NBA championship. They'll probably represent the West again with the squad that they just put together. Uh, they're the winners. They're my team of the week. Good call. Monty. So my team of the week is going to be a tough decision picking this, but it's going to be the Colts. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Tom. <laughs> um, over Green Bay. That was a good game to watch, but in the matter of fact, to see uh, Aaron Rodgers kind of come out flat, that fall kind of flat again, probably a game they should have won, but they didn't. Um, I'm not sure if it's the time of season where Green Bay is hit their peak and coming down, and teams like Indy is climbing their peak. So that's my team of the week. So um, you took mine. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I had a good amount of notes on, on them too, so that, that's going to go to no avail, which they've also won four out of their last five, which is mm-hmm. insane. 4-0 against the NFC this year as well. Um, so my team of the week is the Los Angeles Rams because the last two weeks they've beaten the Seattle Seahawks and now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, two elite teams in the NFC who are probably both playoff teams more than likely. And they just continue to quietly fly under the radar. Nobody talks about them because there's all this hype around Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and I I, I get it. But Jared Goff is showing that he's having a real bounce back year from last year. And he wasn't even really that bad last year. He still threw for – he threw for well over 4,000 yards. But now he has a good – Running game with Darrell Henderson, Cam Akers, and Malcolm Brown. That's a three-headed monster right there. And Aaron Donald uh, continues to prove why he's the best interior defensive lineman in football at the moment. So uh, that is my team of the week. And moving on, we will get to some college football, um, some of the top 25 matchups. And this past week, number three, Ohio State defeated number nine, Indiana. And Andy and I talked about this on our college football show from the stands. Make sure to subscribe to them. Go check them out at From the Stands on Facebook and YouTube. Um, 
Penix Jr. was great, Andy. Five touchdown passes. He was a lot better than what we expected. And we were on the show Friday. I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, Justin Fields has not thrown a pick all season long. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately in this game, I kind of jinxed him. Uh, I believe Justin Fields threw three. And he was sacked three. five times. How did Ohio State survive? I think the time just ran out on Indiana, to be honest with you. I mean, you mentioned Fields throwing his first pick, and he throws three. Coming into this game, Justin Fields had 13 touchdown passes and 11 incompletions. This absolutely crazy stat. Like, this is the first time maybe in his Ohio State career that he's looked out of sorts, looked like he doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, then he finishes the game 18 for 30, 300 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, more incompletions on Saturday than he had going into the game, going in the whole year. So, you know, at halftime, they're up by three scores. You're thinking, okay, uh, you know, they're up three scores, but I was texting my buddy Kyle, Kyle Boyd, that's actually an Ohio State fan, and he's like, dude, we should be winning 48-7. to seven. Like, there was already mistakes. Ohio State was playing sloppy. Indiana's not a bad football team. Credit to Tom Allen for getting this team to rally. And, you know, they, they hung tough. They couldn't get anything going on the ground. You know, you you had sent me that stat, Tom, that I couldn't believe it. Um, oh. they, had, they, finished the, they finished the game with negative one rushing yards. They got outrushed. What was it, 301 to negative one? 307 to negative one in rushing yards. Just... But like you said, Penix throws five touchdowns. He's 27 of 51 for 491 yards, five touchdowns and interception. Um, how did Ohio State hang, hang tough? They, you know, we, we mentioned uh, Fields' three interceptions, but Indiana had four turnovers themselves. Three, three lost fumbles and interceptions. You, you just can't have those in big games. We mentioned it on From the Stands. It's, everything would, would have to go perfect for Indiana in this game, and you just can't have four turnovers four turnovers and beat a top five team on the road. Fair point. Uh, I think master Teague was the reason why Ohio state won. He was able to run Mm -hmm. the rock really well. And Garrett Wilson's an elite wide receiver, another elite wide receiver. And we love to say his name guys is Ty Fry Fogel. This man is one of the best wide receivers in the nation. Uh, Kyle Russo, where do you think he ranks among the top wide receivers in the nation? I think he ranks up there in the top five. You know, we talk yeah. about other guys. Um, Jamar Chase is in there as well for LSU. Um, some other guys I'm blanking right now, but he ranks up there definitely. I believe he had two. He surpassed 200 yards in this game, right? I know he had three three touchdowns, but he surpassed 200 yards in this game. Trifle, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Again, the the biggest reason, and, and Tom, you said it yourself, is that they just couldn't gather together a run game. That's why Indiana just didn't win this game. Uh, Master Teague, 169 yards, two touchdowns, where the run game came in. And then uh, what's the receiver for Ohio State? Also had 169 yards and like two touchdowns himself as well. Greg loved. Wilson. Oh, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson Garrett as well. Wilson. That was the reason why they stuck in this game. I know Penix threw five touchdowns. Justin Fields, I know we've talked about his turnover issue in this game but he also bounced back a little bit not only throwing two touchdowns but also rushing I believe for 75 yards and a touchdown himself as well and that's where they were really able to stay uh, afloat in this game even though Andy like you said they should have this game should have been over 
Well, it shouldn't have been this close. Yeah, this game could have been over at halftime easily if Ohio State doesn't have those turnovers and mistakes in the first half. But you got to credit IU, and just like Grant says, four turnovers, negative one rushing yards, and IU was still only a touchdown away. Something definitely might be brewing in Bloomington. That's something to look out for as the years uh, go on these next few years. Uh, but yeah, man, you you have to look at Ohio State's offense as well. They they, they outgained. They, um, the Hoosiers, they had 607 yards of offense. Like you're yeah. not going to win. A, you're not going to win a lot of games when you're giving up 600 yards. Um, but yeah, as far as Freifogel goes, like he's averaging 106 yards per game receiving. Uh, the big thing for me is he put up 218 yards and two touchdowns on seven receptions <laughs> on Saturday. That's insane. Not That's yeah. not a lot. Talk about being consistent. Talk about being efficient. Seven receptions for 218 yards and two touchdowns. This isn't the Ohio State defense that we're used to, that super elite, you know, best of the best. But they're they're a top five team. You go for 218 yards and two two scores on seven receptions against a top five team. Yeah, you're definitely a top right top five receiver in the nation. You know, like I said, he's averaging the 106 yards. That's only through four games, you know, is 24 receptions, 424 yards, four touchdowns on the season. Uh, you know, as long as Indiana doesn't get any canceled games, I think he's, he's in tune for a big year. Obviously it'll only be eight or nine games, but that's not too bad. And let's talk about, and I like your point there, Andy, that it's just an overall great game by both teams. Unfortunately, rushing was not in the favor of Indiana. They couldn't get anything going with the rock on the ground, but, Cincinnati, number seven, the Bearcats came into this game 7-0. They defeated UCF, handing them their third loss of the season. 36-33 was the final. And, guys, UCF led early until Bearcats linebacker Darian Beavers just went off in this game. He had 12 tackles, one and a half sacks, and four tackles for a loss. And then, you know, we kind of talked about this with Brian on From the Stands back on Friday. Desmond Ritter had four TDs. This is a guy that UCF just couldn't handle. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at it right now. And, and to this they game, couldn't handle the tight ends either. The yeah, tight ends for, uh, for Cincinnati, where the top Five. leading receivers each had a touchdown. Weil and uh, what was the other tight end's name? It was Weil and Weil I can't and think Taylor. of him either. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, while, you know, five receptions, 81 yards and a touchdown, you look at him, he's a sophomore for Cincinnati, a hometown kid. He's got a six-foot-six frame. As a tight end in the American, that's pretty scary. You're not going to see that many big dudes in the G5. Uh, But I also look at Jared Dokes, you know, 28 carries for 97 yards. Sure, he doesn't break that 100-yard mark. But anytime you're able to establish the run like that, where you're able to run the ball 28 times, I think you're doing something right. You know, since he dominated the time of possession in this game, 37-08, uh, they had the ball, and they outgained UCF 482-359. to um, I do have beef, personal beef with Cincinnati and Luke Fickle in this game. Uh, they didn't cover the spread on that bullshit at the end of the game. Uh, it's first and goal, and the, and the guy tries uh, – I think it was Dokes. He goes down on the one. You know, at the end of the game, doesn't score to round the clock up three. You know, screwing my Cincy bet. I think I had them minus six or might have even been like minus four and a half or something like that. So they, But they don't score. And then they run three more plays where they are legit trying to score. So I don't understand if you're able to walk into the end zone. You're up three. So if you score that touchdown, the game's over. 
Mm-hmm. I think people saw that uh, that Penn State Indiana game from earlier this year, and th- their brains are just kind of broken, you know, because the Penn State guy scores when he shouldn't have. But in okay, say you're up one, sure, let run out the clock because they can still come back and get that two point conversion. But if you're up three, that's two. That's a two score ball game. If you just walk into the end zone, the game's over with a minute and thirty seconds. That's something I've seen as a trend so far in not only college football but the NFL this year. The guys just don't seem very confident uh, in scoring. They'd rather just run out the clock, and I get it. But if you're already up three, just get in the end zone. They're not going. They're not scoring ten points in a minute and forty seconds. I, I agree, hundred uh, percent. Unfortunately, though, UCF they're just not the team that they were these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the recruiting's taken a hit a little bit, and Cincinnati. Now you could look and say this team may have a chance at cracking a college football playoff if. You know, something goes wrong with uh, Alabama or Clemson or even Florida. I know Florida is still in front of them, so it's going to be hard to jump them. Um, and then I guess you got to talk about A&M as well. Uh, they're, they're still kind of in the mix. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I know James only puts his money on West Virginia games. So oh, that, yeah. that's the only, the only games he pays attention to. Loves yep. those Mountaineers. Uh, <laughs> um Yippee-yay-yay. So Oklahoma against Oklahoma State in an interstate matchup. And, Andy, I called it on Friday that the Sooners would find a way. Spencer Rattler uh, somehow had four touchdowns in this game. And the Sooners scored 27 of their points in the first half. They dominated the Cowboys, beat them 41-13. to What happened? I mean, this is just like Bedlam is a classic rivalry in college football that you think about, but then then you look at the all-time record, 115 total meetings. Oklahoma leads 90 to 18, and there have been seven ties. So it's really not as close as you would think it would be, and then this was just another example of Oklahoma being a better team. I guess for Oklahoma State, you, you point to Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard maybe not being 100%. For the Cowboys, but I mean, Spencer Sanders didn't do them any favors throwing for less than 100 yards. Uh, but Rattler 17 to 24, 301 yards, and four, t- four touchdowns. And then Ramondre Stevenson 26 carries for 141 yards, getting absolutely anything he wanted against the Cowboys defense. And I'm really looking at freshman receiver Marvin Mins Thomas. Uh, he's quickly become Rattler's favorite target. You know, three receptions for 65 yards. That may not be a lot. But 65 yards and three receptions isn't, isn't anything to scop at. Um, but, yeah, I, I, Oklahoma, you know, early in the year, you know, they picked up those two bad losses. So you're kind of thinking, what is this team this year? But you got to think with with a, with that big of a win over a ranked team, uh, things are looking up in Norman for sure. And those two losses were Kansas State and Iowa State, two <laughs> losses you can't carry with you. Um Kyle Russo, you were very um, quiet this uh, week, and this was just an interesting game to watch. Liberty upsetting NC State. Me and Andy bet on Liberty, but NC State almost upset Fonz's Miami Hurricanes. Were you surprised by this upset? I was. I was. Bailey Hockman is is better than this. I was surprised how bad he performed, even – the quarterback for Liberty, he didn't even have a good game. He threw Malik like three Willis. picks. Malik Willis, he threw like three picks. Um, I know that NC State outrushed, I believe, uh, Liberty as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
night I had like 96 yards and a touchdown and their lead running back for Liberty only had like 42 yards or something like that. I know they out. I think their main receiver for Liberty, I'm blanking on the name. It was such a, it was, it was a good game, but it wasn't a game that I really paid attention to that much because it's not the big name teams at the moment right now. But the lead receiver for Liberty had like 73 yards and a touchdown as well. I was surprised how poor Bailey Hawkman played. He had like 14 to 27 uh, completion, 154 yards, something like that, and two interceptions. They played themselves out of this game. It was just a really bad game for them. Yeah, the name is on the tip of my tongue too. I was more surprised that that Willis played a bad game. This is really the first time we've seen Willis play a bad game. You're talking about somebody that coming into the game had almost 2,400 yards of total offense by himself, leading the team in passing, obviously, but also in rushing yards. You talk about those three interceptions, not good. I'm not surprised that Hockman didn't play well. He hasn't had a good year all year for the Wolfpack, and so much so that Dorn's not even sold that Hockman is quarterback. We've seen the Wolfpack go to a two-quarterback system this year. Um, but, you, you know, Good for the Wolfpack. You know, they get that blocked field goal at the end to seal the win. Coincidentally, Virginia Tech had a blocked field goal on Liberty a couple weeks ago, but Fuente calls that timeout and uh, ends up working out for the Flames. Doesn't this week. But, yeah, more credit to NC State. I, I Like you said, Thomas, we both picked Liberty. Uh, Malik Willis is just so good. I, I predicted him <laughs> 200 yards to the air and 100 yards on the ground. That didn't happen. But, yeah, those three interceptions, I think, tell the story. The receiver you were looking for, Kyle, was DJ Stubbs. Stubbs. Him, and then there's Stubbs. Kevin Shaw as well. <laughs> so, or Shea, whatever, however you say his name. But um, yeah, I was shocked that Liberty lost. I was kind of riding their train, thinking they would remain undefeated. But you know, we get into previewing these Week 13 games, and I want to get to Kevin Mondello's comment. Um, how far can Notre Dame go in the playoffs? They look really promising this season. Um, again. You know me. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. We had Michael Owens on the show, host of uh, Here Come the Irish podcast, and they're playing UNC on the road this week, who they've now dipped to the number 25 overall team. We saw Notre Dame come out a little flat against Boston College. I think we just got to worry about winning this week, taking it one game at a time. We have UNC, then we have Syracuse, and then we have one other team after that. I think it might be Virginia Tech, and then we're probably going to get Clemson in the ACC championship game. So I think Notre Dame needs to win out they have to. Um, in order to get in. That's that's the only way, even though they did beat. Actually, they can get in with a Clemson loss, but then yes, I think they they'd have to win the ACC championship game. Um, if, they, if they didn't beat Clemson, they would have to win the ACC championship game. Now that they beat Clemson, uh, I think even if they lose to, uh, to Clemson in the ACC championship game, as long as they win out, they're in. They could lose to Clemson after winning out and yeah. still get in as, as a, like a four, like a three or a four. Mm-hmm. So to answer Kevin's question, I think it varies on where we seed in the college football playoff. Right now we're number two, and I believe we would play Ohio State. Uh, I think we can compete against Ohio State. And this might be not a popular opinion in this group, but I've seen what the defense can do this year, and I'm looking at who they have right now. By the way, I love Hamilton. He's one of the best defensive backs in college. And our offensive line and running game is outstanding. Ian Book doesn't make mistakes. If this was a normal year, I'd say no. Notre Dame would not be able to compete against Ohio State. But I I, I think we could potentially beat them. Now, can we go all the way? I don't think so yet. But I think we could potentially make it. I think we could potentially make it to the championship game. I think you guys have a better chance of beating Ohio State. I don't see any way that you beat Clemson or Alabama. It's just not going to happen. 
Michael Owens would disagree with you. Uh, yeah, I, I got to disagree there as well. The, you, the, well against yeah. what team do you think Notre Dame has a shot? Clemson. 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 They beat them already. Uh, and let's not act like Ukulele's this. Let's not act like he was bad. He threw for 400 yards in that game. What are you talking about? Notre Dame's defense is the best defense in the top five. I take Notre Dame defense over Alabama's, over Clemson's, and over Ohio State's. I think Trevor Lawrence adds that X factor. I, you're not going to tell me that you're going to compete the same way that you did. What did he do in the national championship game last year? He had the worst national championship game as a quarterback statistically, like, in history. Put pressure on him. I don't think it's that bad. You're going to put him behind that same offensive line that Ugalele played with, that Notre Dame was able. Sure, Clemson scored 40 points against Notre Dame, but uh, were they able to stop Kyron Williams? No. Did they force Ian Book to, to any any mistakes at all? No. So to say that they have no shot to beat Clemson in, in the in the uh, AC championship game, I'm sorry, Kyle. Stupid. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I don't think they have a chance. I don't. I, Ohio, I think I, if I think they have a better chance of beating Ohio State if Ohio State does move up to that three spot. Because I don't see Notre Dame losing a game. I think you'd have a better chance of making the national championship game if you go up against Ohio State versus any of those other two teams. I take them over Ohio State. I take them over Clemson. Now Alabama is 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 one thing, just because offensively Alabama brings so much to the table. Defensively, though, Alabama's put up has allowed a lot of points this year. So can Notre Dame's offense keep up with Alabama? So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'll get to back to that other comment by Grant. Notre Dame beat Clemson already, and Ohio State struggled with Indiana. That's a good point. But remember too. Ohio State hasn't played as many games at that point. They could be hitting their stride. So, you know, that is an argument for another day. Uh, but I think Notre Dame has a shot against OSU and Clemson. It all comes down to how we finish out and how we look in that ACC title game. Thoughts on the committee putting both AM and Florida ahead of Cincinnati. Um, I don't think a road win against UCF is as powerful as it was in years past. Considering- and A&M's only losses to Alabama. Yeah, that's the only loss. And they beat and they beat Florida head to head. Yeah, but Florida still, if Florida wins out, they're gonna they're gonna play in the SEC championship game. So that that's the knock on A and M. But I think it just goes down to strength of schedule. That's what it. And in the you don't want to call it an SEC bias with the CFP, but it's really hard not to. But I mean, do you think since he beats? Florida and AM? I think they could beat AM. Florida, I, Florida. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, depends. I mean, if it had Brian Kelly, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we have number 15, Iowa State, at number 20, Texas. That should be a good game between a couple of two lost teams. And then the game I'm really excited to observe is Auburn and Alabama. Now, I understand Auburn, there are only five and three, but they always play Alabama tough. Regard, you could throw the records out the window in this game. I think I think Alabama is going to win by a couple of possessions, but I think Auburn's going to keep it close throughout majority of the first three quarters, and I think Alabama is going to hit their stride. We're going to see Najee Harris, uh, you know, go off, but it's just a matter of, in my opinion, is. Mac Matt, uh, Jones is the quarterback, right? Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Yep. Yeah. I was about to say, um, like you have to make him beat you in my opinion, because Najee Harris is such an X factor for them. I, I, I think Alabama is going to win by a couple of possessions, but does Auburn have any sign of life, any glimpse of hope in this game? 
I think since it's the Iron Bowl, you say yes because some always seems something crazy always seems to happen in the Iron Bowl. But I mean, if you watch any Auburn football this year, like they've got some dudes with cool names. You talk about Big Cat Bryant and, and Smoke Monday, but uh, as far as competing with Alabama, no, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I think I, I got Bama by two scores, and I I just think they're there's so much better. Than Auburn, I'm not sold on Bo Nix. Like he's very up and down, very inconsistent. It, what what Bo Nix are you gonna get on Saturday? I think it's the easy bet to take Bama, but like, how do you not take Bama against what you've seen from Auburn this year? What do you think, Kyle? I'm taking Bama. You take Bama. That the, yeah. You just take Bama. <laughs> you just I take. <laughs> uh, he's right, James. James, you rolling with the tide? Yeah, roll with Tide. Um, before we get to Annie's Illini, I want to get to your West Virginia Mountaineers. Now they're hosting number fourteen Oklahoma, and you know this is a, a Big Twelve matchup, and this could potentially be a trap game for Oklahoma. We know they dominate the rivalry against the Cowboys, but can that momentum continue on the road against West Virginia, a team who has struggled? This year, I think the Sooners are probably going to win, but I think they're going to play down. What do you think, James? Do you think West Virginia? No, I don't think so. I think, Tom, your analysis is correct. They'll probably play down. Like any other 6-2 and two team we've ever seen in any sports division playing a 5-3 and three or lower, all those four teams, all the sports teams play down. And this is nothing new. They're going to play down. They'll Come out Spencer with the win, Rattler. and you know, uh, they'll they'll be seven and two, and West Virginia will be uh, five and four. So basically, Spencer Rattler is going to go off again, like he did against the Cowboys. Is yes. what you're saying? Exactly. If, uh, if yeah, if if West Virginia can limit uh, Rattler through the air, they keep it close. If they let him go crazy, throw a bunch of touchdowns like he did against Oklahoma State, OU rolls. Yeah. Kyle, do the Mountaineers have a chance? No, they haven't looked good since the Will Greer, uh, Will Greer days. They haven't looked good since then. Remember the, the connection, the Will Greer and David Sill days? That's when they were good. I don't, I don't, see, them, I don't see them coming out strong in this game. I don't, I don't see them winning, coming to the top. Yeah, we have a lot of good young receivers on our practice squad. David Sills. We had Austin Mack from Ohio State for a while. Benjamin Victor. Those would have been their two starters this year at Ohio State, and now they're uh, sitting on the on the Giants. That's a, a real nice feeling to have. But Grant Baker says, "I know it's conference only, but people are asking: Is West Virginia scared to play Marshall?" We are. Marshall. They've been surprised. <laughs> they've, been surprised. they've been really good this year, Marshall. Yeah, they're fun to watch. Um. Yeah, we should make James. I always. I would add James. Yeah. We're gonna make him travel to West Virginia one day as part of his uh quick picks punishment. Punishment. Well, you know what? When uh, I don't have to quarantine when I get back to New York, I'll do it when the day comes. <laughs> Take me home, West Virginia. And you know what? Just I'll play that song nice and loud in my car as I enter. That'll be the road Virginia. trip there for yeah. five hours, James. That's what we'll be listening to. Yeah, yeah, you and your obsession with West Virginia. Oh, it's, yeah. it's quite it's quite comical. Uh, so, Andy, your Illini are two and three, and this is the last game we'll talk about before we move on. They're hosting number three Ohio State Big Ten matchup. 
State Illinois is hot. Two wins in a row. What do you got? Uh, we're gonna lose by we're gonna lose by thirty. I'll just I'll just say that right now. Okay. But you wow. have uh, it's listen. They haven't had a full healthy team all year. This was the first week of the season they have had their full healthy team. We're talking about a team that the first two weeks of the season you got down to your fourth string quarterback. You're not going to win a lot of games with four-string quarterback, and you're missing 14 total players due to COVID. Um, but these last two weeks, this has been awesome. This is like the first time they've won back-to-back Big Ten games since like 2010, as crazy as that is to believe. This is a middling Big Ten program, guys. This is, we're not world beaters, you know, but they're fun to watch sometimes. You know, they, they made the bowl last week. This is year five of Lovey Smith. Fans are kind of getting restless at this point. These two wins in a row just saved Lovey Smith's job. No, no matter if you like it or not, they did. I couldn't tell you the last time we've been up three scores on a Big Ten opponent. So two-game winning streak, like Tom said. We're the number two rush offense in the Big Ten. That's going to be something to watch. So we lead the Big Ten in rush yards with 1,112, but we rank second in rush yards per game uh, just behind Ohio State. So we are averaging, or I should say we, Illinois is averaging, 222.4 yards. Ohio State is averaging 233.3 yards. Uh, but, you know, multiple 100-yard rushers in back-to-back Big Ten games for the Illini for the first time since 1945. Uh, Epstein, Mike Epstein and Chase Brown uh, ran, rushed for 113 and 110 yards against Nebraska. And then uh, redshirt freshman quarterback Isaiah Williams, the highest-rated quarterback recruit we've had in who knows how long, rushed for 192 yards against Rutgers, and Chase Brown also rushed for 131. So Williams actually broke a program record for rush yards by a quarterback in a game. Uh, he's you know he's a smaller guy. He's 5'11", but he's an athlete. He, he could have gone pretty much anywhere in the country. He had offers from Bama, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, all the big blue programs to be an athlete. Illinois, he was able to come here and play quarterback. That's what attracted him here. Also, his high school coach is our special teams coordinator or receivers coach, running backs coach, something like that on the staff. So what to look for for Illinois? This offensive line is really good. They're one of PFF's top-rated offensive lines in the Big Ten. Can they keep the momentum going for this rushing attack? How well will they be able to stop the, the rush defense, the, uh, the pass rush from Ohio State? Can they protect Brandon Peters? So Brandon Peters is our fifth-year uh, quarterback, came, in, came into the year, uh, as the starter, actually tested positive for COVID-19, misses three games. That's why we go down from Williams due to contact tracing. Then third string Matt Robinson hurts his ankle, down to fourth string Corin Taylor for two games. So Peters is back. He has arguably his best game last week as an Illini versus Nebraska. Leads us to a win. So the Illini are 7-5 and five when Peters starts and finishes a game. When he either does not start, starts and gets hurt, they're 1-5. That's some that that that's a big difference. I know seven and five isn't a great record, but that's plus. That's that, that that's over five hundred. And if you're an Illini fan or know anything about Illini football, you'll take that. Uh, the pass game is going to be important as well. Can Peters keep uh, Josh Matterbebe and Donnie Navarro involved? Navarro had an eighty three point seven PFF grade last week. That was number two among receivers in the Big Ten and number four in the nation. The highest graded quarterbacks in the Big Ten this season by PFF College. 92.0 is Justin Fields Ohio, from Ohio State, 88.3, Michael Penix from Indiana, 86.1, Brandon Peters, Illinois is number three. That's a pretty good that's a that's pretty good group of, that's a pretty good group of names to be uh there with. So offensively, if they are fully healthy, 
They have weapons. They can they can make some noise. Defensively, it's turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. It's lovey ball. He yeah. wants to punch the ball out. You want to intercept the ball. They forced five turnovers against Nebraska last week. We talked about it earlier. Justin Fields, three interceptions last week. Can the Illini force Ohio State into mistakes? I don't think Illinois is going to win this game. I'm not expecting Illinois to win this game. Am I going to root like hell for them? Absolutely. Um, but that'll be something to watch. Can they force a turnover? Can they keep up with Ohio State on offense? You know, in my eyes, it's going to have to be a shootout uh, for Illinois to win. Like Indiana last week, everything's going to have to go perfectly. Jake Hansen is a guy to watch for, a linebacker. He's one of only three players in the NCAA to have multiple interceptions, forced fumbles, and fumble recoveries. He's been a ball hawk for Lovey Smith's defense. And then Owen Carney and Callan Tolson have also been huge for this defense this offseason. So players to watch the Illini, Brandon Peters, Mike Epstein, Chase Brown, Josh Amaterbebe, and Donnie Navarro. Uh, as far as Ohio State goes, obviously Fields. Will Master Teague be able to uh, build on that huge performance he had last week? Because, you know, coming into that game, he was only averaging 4.3 yards per carry for the Buckeyes, really leaving something to be desired. Uh, so look for them to build on that. Um Illinois loves that Tampa 2 offense. Ohio State's going to attack the middle of the field. Uh, But like I said, Ohio State will probably roll in this game. But, you know, good for Illinois getting Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt on the call at 11 a.m. on Saturday. When was the last time we had had one of those? So uh, Ohio State probably rolls in this one, keeps their undefeated season going. But, you know, good for the Illini getting those two wins in a row. That's that's big time for this program. Two wins when they absolutely needed them. be curious to see what the trajectory of this program is next year. Uh, they have to get to a bowl next year or Lovey is gone, in my opinion. Yeah, well, the seat's getting warm. And I think what hurts uh, the Illini is their uh, passing attack because uh, through right. five games, there isn't one receiver that, you know, sticks out numbers-wise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know tape-wise – that's you know that's a different story. But if you look at the numbers, their leading receiver has 15 catches through five games. That's not going to cut it against a team like Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Right. But anything you guys would like to add to this college football segment before we uh, move forward? Did we talk about Notre Dame uh, UNC? Because I so, had some I had some notes about that. Yeah. So my opinion is Notre Dame is going to win. They're 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 going to win by about ten to thirteen points. I, again, I just Notre Dame plays down to their opponents. They're a team that doesn't blow anybody out. They just refuse to do it. Um, there is this is going to be a, a lower scoring game than I think people expect. I think Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are going to be key. That offensive line with Robert Hainsey, uh, Liam Eikenberg, our center Javon Patterson. I think he's out. Uh, I know he has an injury, which is going to be tough. Uh, to withstand, but Banks, man, that our left guard, our line is big. They're experienced. We're going to want to run the football against UNC. They don't. I they don't have as many weapons as we do. That's what it's going to come down to. Skoranek had the three touchdowns that one week in our last outing. We still have you know a really good wide receiver core. So I just I I see no, and I love our tight end, the freshman Mayor. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely phenomenal. He right. might be the best tight end in the ACC already. Uh, I, I have Notre Dame winning. I have Notre Dame winning as well. I don't know about low scoring, though. I think this is a shootout. UNC mm-hmm. is averaging 563.4 yards per game. Notre Dame is averaging 462.3 yards per game. UNC's defense is not good, though. 
They're they're allowing 30.8 points per game and 413 yards of total offense. Will they be able to live at Kyron Williams, though? Like you just said, 137 carries, 777 yards, 10 touchdowns. Ian Book doesn't make mistakes. You know that. He's only got one interception on the year. 1,818 yards and 11 touchdowns. So what will he be able to do? Like you said, they do have a lot of weapons. I'm going to disagree with you, though. I think I think North Carolina has weapons here. If we're looking, Sam Howell is a legit, really good quarterback, 2,631 2, 2, yards, 23 touchdowns, six interceptions. You look at Javante Williams, their running back, 120 carries, 868 yards, and 15 touchdowns. That's, over a, that's almost 100 yards more then Kyron Williams and five more touchdowns. And then Diami Brown, their leading receiver, has got 45 receptions for 829 yards and eight touchdowns. This Notre, this uh, North Carolina offense is explosive. That's not the question. Will they be able to stop your Notre Dame offense, which I don't think they will. I do like what you said. I like, I like Notre Dame by at least a score here. Yeah, and I, I want to get Kyle's opinion, but I, I just think per, personally from UNC's schedule, I, I think Notre Dame's weapons are significantly better. Not trying to downplay what UNC has on the offensive sure. end. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. I just think what we have is better. Like our, our ceiling is a lot higher, but I do agree absolutely. with you. No I shit. do agree with you on that. <laughs> Uh, try to say that as seriously as <laughs> yeah, possible yeah, yeah. Without, without being like, yeah, they, they, they suck. Yeah, but Kyle, yeah. uh, who, who do you got in this game? Yeah, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. Like I said earlier, I have them winning out and, and then obviously making it within that top four uh, for the championship. Um, you know, you guys' ceiling is the roof, you know. I, I think that you'll wind up being <laughs> fine and you guys will wind up winning out these next three games. I don't see you losing. But you're yeah, right. Yeah. You, you do play down to your opponents. So that's that's a factor in every single game in which every they game play. play. North Carolina but, has played down to their opponents this year too. Like they yeah. gave up they gave up 44 to Virginia. I think yeah. I think I think you guys will be okay. Uh, our remaining schedule is UNC, Syracuse, and Wake Forest. That is the makeup game. And we have a comment from Tim Weaver. Hey, Thanks. worst teams have beat better. You're right, Timmy. It's my guy, Tim. Very nice. Uh, thank <laughs> you very much, Tim, for commenting on the show. And, uh, you know, we hope you guys subscribe, share this podcast with your friends, continue to Please comment do. in the stream. Please Love do. the engagement here tonight. And shout out to Andy Hopper for joining us from the Brew Party. Make sure to go check out his podcast at the Brew Party on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I know you guys go live on Periscope as well. Yes, so. we do, my friend. Tomorrow with Sam Cardona at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Central Time. But yeah, enough about me. Get back to the show. Come on. Sam Cardona's on Big Blue Avenue Thursday. That was a very entertaining show. Had a couple was... funky comments on there as well. Wait, so did. Did Gabe put his life savings on the Eagles plus three and a half? I really hope he. I really hope he didn't. <laughs> we're, we're actually um, about to find out, but I'm pretty sure he picked the Browns in our quick pick standing. So Gabe wins quick picks again in Week Eleven. Um, let's pull up the graphic, James. Uh-oh. There it is. Gabe went from losing four out of the first five weeks of the season to now being in first. And he was the winner this week by, uh, as we lost Andy there, but we'll get him back up in just a minute. Don't you worry, folks. Uh, Gabe went 10-4 and with 11 points, and he won thanks to picking the Rams on Monday Night Football, as were the other three of us picked Tampa Bay. There we go, Andy. Uh, I don't know what's going on with my camera here right now, but I'm here. All good. As long as you're here, 
That's what we need. Um, yeah, so Gabe ended up picking the Rams over the Bucks, And then I also – he he picked a couple other wild cards too. I believe he picked Denver uh, uh, to beat Miami, which was a big one. Up. And I believe – I don't know if anybody – I'm trying to upload the graphic here, but you talked reason, me out of You talked me out of picking the Washington football team against Cincinnati and Gabe wanted up picking them and, and was the only one to pick them against Cincy. Yeah, and but I who else – who else would you have picked as an upset last week besides them? No, I'm not talking about picking them for an upset at all. And no, I got my upset them. with Tennessee. Yeah. I'm just talking about uh, downplaying the Washington football team. I think they downplaying. are way better. They are a way better team. Joe Burrow got Smith. hurt, but they were down by they were down by 15 anyway when he was in the game. The the, the Washington football team were are they? Way better I team. thought they were up when he got hurt. No, I don't believe they were. Uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I've been notorious for that happening, but I do believe that they were down in this game. But my point is this, is that Alex Smith is a way better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins, a way better quarterback than Alex, um, than Kyle Kyle Allen. And I think that in this horrible, horrible division, Washington still has a shot. Gabe also picked Washington, Houston to beat New England and Denver to beat Miami. That is where he, he created Distance and Gabe did pick Philadelphia to win that game just for the record. Um, so those 20 bucks are now out of his pocket. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. I ended up, I was the only one that picked the Colts to uh, beat the yeah. Packers. And I, I saw this coming from a mile away, guys. I understand it was a lot closer than what people would have expected, but Green Bay has not beaten the Colts on the road since 1974. It hasn't happened. I, I understand 2020 is not a year to go through the, the history books because this has been uh, a whole new level of new for the NFL this year with the whole COVID regulations and everything. But, man, do the Colts look good. And they have one heck of a kicker and Rodrigo Blankenship. I was, I mean, he did doink the 50-yarder. But Yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, this guy is a future top five kicker in this league. He is very oh, damn yeah. good. They let oh, one uh, Vinatieri Hall of Famer goes out the door and replace him with Rodrigo Blankenship, who's one of the best kickers in football right now. Um, I don't. I, I watched this game from start to finish. This was Green Bay should have had this game. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling making that mistake late. It, it's ultimately put the nail in the coffin. I believe that placed that placed Indianapolis right at the forty yard line in in yeah. Green Bay's territory. But very very good game. Very intriguing game. It's a matter of question is how legit, not Indianapolis, how legit is Green Bay at this point in time, do you believe, guys? It's just a general statement to anybody. Anybody can grab it. Well, let's let Andy grab it. What do you think, Andy? How how legit is Green Bay? Yeah. Their defense sucks. They can't they yeah. can't stop they can't stop the run. They're not gonna be able to stop the run. Is this is a question of can you beat Aaron Rodgers and how how on is their how on is their offense? Is Aaron Jones feeling it that day? How well is Aaron Rodgers connecting uh, with Devontae Adams? But as far as defensively, you shouldn't be scared of this team at all. Yeah. Um, Trying to fix my camera here, boys. I'm sorry. I don't know what is going on here. Uh, We got you good on our end, but the Packers turned it over four times. They lost three fumbles, and they were outrushed 140-66 by the Colts. They did get a reinforcement in Alan Lazard, but it did not help them much. And Hank just comments, Rodrigo Blankenship, you mean Michael Squid's Paladoris. <laughs> from, <laughs> from the from the sandlot. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Love that reference. And Grant 
confirms to us that the Bengals were up when Burrow was injured. Nine he didn't get hurt seven. in the third quarter? I thought he got hurt in the third, not before halftime. No, it was, I think it was before halftime. Oh. All right. Thank you very much, Grant and Hank, for commenting. Um, and uh, I had since he, I, I had since he money line too. Like that's that, that ruined my whole Sunday when when Joe Burrow got hurt, the ACL, the MCL, the all the other structural damage. I had a profit damage. I had a profit boost, Thomas. I think I was talking to you about it. I was like, I need a lock. You were Grant. Took- my buddy Grant, who's been commenting on, and my other buddy Lucas. We have a group message. All right, we need so we need a lock every Sunday. We ask for him. Like, all right, let's all ride Cincy money line together. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, what the hell is going on? As soon as Burrow got hurt, it's like it's over. It's over. I had yeah. Cincy. I had a Cincy in another parlay. Like I said earlier, this was a terrible week for me as far as my picks go. I went three and five with my brew party picks that I, that I came out with. Fun fact: last six Chargers games have all gone over the total. Yeah. No, that's that's been insane. Um, you guys do that money line with you and Ryan Maloney doing all the picks and whatnot. Always uh-huh. love to watch that. Um, are you guys doing that this week? Yeah. So with it being Thanksgiving on Thursday, we're actually going to be recording tomorrow night. Uh, so after me and Sam get off the air, Ryan and I will probably take about an hour break. I do believe we have some for the stand stuff to record tomorrow. So after I get that for the stand stuff recorded, Ryan and I will be jumping on Periscope, Facebook Live, and YouTube Live to give our picks uh, for this weekend. I know a day earlier than usual, but you know, yeah. with it being Thanksgiving, it's uh, I, I didn't even think about that until he said something to me today. So, oh, thanks, Ryan, thanks. Yeah. yeah, Ryan, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, though, Thomas. Yeah, Maloney's money line. Uh, what's our record? We are we are a hundred and forty five in like hundred and two and three. So we're like plus like thirty units. Uh, we actually probably lost. Uh, quite a bit this <laughs> this week, but we're on a heater up until last up until this last week. Not bad, as Hank says, he was dangerously close to picking the Jets again this week. But the Chargers... they covered, they covered the spread. You should have. Yeah. Um. We don't really pay. We don't really go with the spreads as much, but we just focus more on the games. We You're just more of a pick them like a winner. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. More of a yeah, pick them type of crew. Um. But I do want to acknowledge Kyle, who is the only person to hit both his lock and upset, nailing the Chargers and Let's the go, Titans, Kyle. Beating the Ravens. Um, yeah, and then, James, you were this week's loser. You hit neither your lock or upset. Yeah, uh, it was a tough week. Yeah, it, it was a tough <laughs> week. As you see the standings, you, you've been dipping right there. Fun fact, I, I, and I, I still hold true to this. You guys get sick of hearing it every week, and you're going to continue to hear it again until I'm proven wrong one week, which hopefully doesn't happen. But I have hit every single lock through 11 weeks. Who did you pick this week? Uh, Green Bay. Steelers. Oh, I picked Green Bay to beat Chicago. Yep, that is my lock. As Andy Hopper will display a grimace on the bottom part. Whatever, dude. Like, what am I supposed to pick the Bears in after a four-game losing streak? Like, uh, look out though. I am going to be doing a pre-game and post-game brew for that uh, for that game as well. All the primetime Bears games, I do a pre-game and post-game show. Well, I shouldn't say all. I started uh, two weekends ago, but. Uh, Looking forward, uh, I'll be doing that. I need a Packers fan to come on and join me either before or after the game. So we'll, we'll figure that out. But 
Yeah, as far as that game goes, can we just get flexed? Like, Tariko and yeah. uh, Dungey are already on the call. You might as well just put us in, in the afternoon slate and, and yeah. get a better game. But, of course, in classic Bears fashion, though, watch them win, and my dumb ass will be like, we're 6-5, and five, Packers are 7-4, and four, season's back on. But, god damn it. I just hope, I just hope Trubisky starts. Get somebody that is mobile back there behind this atrocious atrocious offensive line. I believe he started throwing again in practice today. We'll we'll see where they go. We'll we'll see where they go from here. But yeah, I know I said I didn't want to talk about the Bears, but here we are. It's just very rough to be a Bears fan right now. (laughs) It is, but it's also rough to be a Arizona Cardinals fan after their loss to Seattle. The Seahawks are 10 and one on Thursday night football since 2010. Their defense shockingly held the Andre Hopkins to just five receptions for 51 yards. Rookie linebacker Isaiah Simmons finally coming out of his own 10 tackles, a sack, couple tackles for loss. Um, great overall showing by the Cardinals. And then we had the Titans, Derrick Henry with that game winning 29 yard touchdown rush in overtime. And, I was watching that game at the bar Sunday. I absolutely loved it. I loved what the Titans were able to do. Uh, and I, I texted Fonz DeFalco right after the game saying, still in the mix. And that's all I needed to say um, to Kyle and James, uh, kind of trigger his Tennessee button a, a little bit. It just seems like uh, more than a bit. But you guys get the point. It seems like the Ravens cannot beat Tennessee. And how, how concerned should Baltimore be? not just about winning in the playoffs now, but even making the playoffs. I don't think that making the playoffs is going to be a concern. The, the problem that Baltimore is running into is that is as crazy as it sounds, I think this is a question that you legitimately have to ask because he's just played that way. Is that can Lamar be a quarterback or can he be the quarterback that's going to run the football and you have to develop uh, the stronger overall run game overall and an even better defense than they already have? because he just cannot throw the football for the life of him accurately. He was missing guys down the field. The amount of times I saw him overthrow Mark Andrews, the amount of times he overthrew Willie Sneed, even his receiver, Marquise Brown, is going out on Twitter saying, uh, what's the point of having good receivers if you're not going to throw to them? And he's not wrong. You want to call out a quarterback? Fine, but he's not wrong. Marquise Brown last year was one of the best up-and-coming players, and now the man doesn't even get the football. There's been games where he's had less than three catches, and he's your number one receiver because Lamar Jackson has ultimately, in a sense, given up throwing the football, or maybe that's the offense in which John Harbaugh is running. But you cannot win football games doing what they're doing. They've proven that week in and week out, especially against the teams of quality. They can't do that. Yeah. Do you you think that, like, this offense has been kind of figured out by other defensive coordinators? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of it. I think it's Lamar that's been figured out, is that they know right. that well, Lamar is going to run the ball mm-hmm. for the majority of the game. Because wasn't he – didn't he have an interview, what, about a month ago? I forget who it was with, but he, he straight up said – he uh, it might have been with Rich Eisen. He, he straight up said, yeah, I, I'll be calling in plays, and I hear the Mike linebacker. Like, they know what's – defenses know what's coming before we're even calling it. Like, we kind of saw this happen with Greg Roman's offense in San Francisco when he had – uh, Colin Kaepernick, like, is this just where they've kind of ran out of tricks? There's nothing left in their bag for them to kind of do. Uh, but you, you can't feel good as a Baltimore Ravens fan right now. You're, you're sitting at six and four, Kyle. I do agree with you. They shouldn't worry about the playoffs, 
But it is a little worrisome that, you know, you go into Thanksgiving, you have this game against undefeated Steelers, yeah. and you could potentially go back two games behind the Cleveland Browns for second place in this division. And if you look at what Harbaugh has been saying to the media and reading between the lines, I think he knows he's not winning with, with Lamar. And this is a real That's shame. part of the reason why they haven't given him money yet. I mean, the guy's won an MVP trophy already, and yet he's probably one of the only quarterbacks left that has not gotten extended and has done a decent amount to get that kind of money, and just they just have not given it to him yet. And you've seen right. everybody around him get money as well. Marlon Humphrey getting the bag, Marcus Peters, Ronnie Stanley getting the bag, and he's the only one left that just hasn't gotten paid. You also need to remember that these guys are also older than Lamar Jackson. Humphrey was drafted in 17 and then Stanley in 16. So I know, but if this is your guy who wins an MVP, if this is right. your guy, you lock him up. And the fact that they haven't done that yet – Mostly it's just the not the way every organization goes about game. their business, though. Not every organization goes about that way. There's a line of seniority in some organizations, and the Ravens may have that line of seniority. This guy was here first. He's balling out. He's going to get it first because he's coming up sooner. Lamar may be next on their pecking list, but he has to continue. He has to start playing better. I, I totally understand that. I just think it's silly to give a quarterback a contract extension and uh, when he didn't even play majority of his first year. So, like, last year was really the first full season that we saw of Lamar Jackson, and he, he's a real special talent. This year, we're seeing a little bit different. So this, realistically, is only Lamar Jackson's second full season as a full-time starter in this league. So I think it's too early to give Lamar Jackson uh, a contract extension, MVP or not, because Patrick Mahomes also had to wait a year. As well, yeah, so this is still this is still number this is year number three of his contract, which means he'll have one more year left of this and a fifth year player option. And you'd uh, want to extend him if you think he's the guy because you'll get him for cheaper until he hits free agency. I'm going to disagree with you again because my my part my part of the problem is it's too soon, and you have a good supporting cast around him, Ronnie Stanley, who is going to protect him. He's up first because he's older. That's just how it goes. And he's been he's he's been a Pro Bowl left tackle. It's one of the most important positions to pay on your football team. And without Ronnie Stanley, I, I doubt the Ravens have six wins right now. I think I, they really hasn't even been playing. He tore his ACL. I think they really missed Marshall Yanda too on that yeah. offensive no, line. They've been moving their uh, Matt Sakura just lost his job as their center, and some other guy came in. Or it's vice versa. Uh, the Ravens have a little issue at the offensive line, but that's. That's just not the problem. It's not a protection problem. It's Lamar Jackson. I He's love this comment by Tim Weaver. I love this comment. You need pocket passing quarterbacks, especially the older you get, those types of players will last yep. longer in yep. this league. He's right. 100%. And that's why I mean, Eli lasted as long as he did. <laughs> Is he a Hall of Famer? Is he first ballot or what? He's definitely a Hall of Famer. I don't know not about first, first ballot. ballot. Not I mean, he. Ballot. I mean, he. He could be. It. It depends. It depends. Like who's on the ballot that year. You know. Sure. So sure. it's gonna. I, I'm on the fence about first ballot. Hall of Famer, definitely. True. Uh, first ballot. I don't know. I don't should know. the Should the Giants retire his number? I'm sorry. I don't mean to get off the rails yeah. here. But uh, absolutely. I think they already yeah. did. They yeah, did retire yeah. ten already. Yeah. They absolutely. announced that they're going to. Um. Yeah, big Eli Manning guy, but uh. 
Andy, this will make you feel a little better. The Lions got shut out by the Panthers last week, 20 nothing, uh, without Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey. And if you want Hank's opinion, <laughs> Hank's probably is. Hank's probably wearing his uh jersey right now that he has that's like a million years old where you can't even see the tent anymore he wore on the brew party that was awesome um yeah he's a funny guy he also has to display that on every episode of big blue avenue make sure to check that out tomorrow night at seven but man stafford had no touchdown passes the lions look bad and matt patricia if they if they lose on thanksgiving i think that that has to be it you're at home against a texans three-win team you have to beat them you have to beat them to stay in the race. The Texans are favored by three and a half going into this game. What is yeah. going on in Detroit? Their defensive backs had more receptions in the end zone than their receivers did. They had zero plays in the red zone against the Panthers on Sunday. Credit to P.J. Walker for having an insane game, proving that he belongs in this league, maybe not as a starter, but as a serviceable backup. Yeah. But come on, if you're Detroit, you've got to be feeling awful right now as if there was anything to look forward to this season so far but you look at these two games against a team like this then you go next week against the Texans if they were to win these two they go to six and five and your whole outlook on the year is different but come on man that is bad Stafford I mean they were without Galladay Galladay is getting even more uh, traction here they're getting he Galladay is getting more traction here to get paid you know like how their offense, I believe, is averaging like 28 points a game when he is uh, on the field and when they he's were, not. They were also missing DeAndre Swift, too, with concussion. He's been like their main source of offense yeah. periodically throughout the season. Which, with DeAndre Swift, is what bo- bothers me is why did it take them so long to commit to them as, as their number one running back? Because yeah. they had Adrian Peterson go off in that first week one game. Well, and they were like, we got to run with them. Well, right, but if you're willing to commit to that high of a pick on a running back there as they did, like I, I mean, that's just me. But why not start him right away? You obviously oh, yeah. thought you you obviously thought you had something there with him. Why wait until week eleven to do it? But yeah, I, I don't know. Great win for the Panthers. Good for PJ Walker. You know, he throws those two interceptions in the end zone. This could have been a like a forty-two to zero game if he yeah. if he doesn't throw those interceptions, guys. I agree. Uh, it was unfortunate, but, you know, Detroit, Car- uh, Carolina, those are two teams towards lower tier middle of the pack right now. And uh, Detroit, again, Matthew Statford, as Tim Weaver said. Uh, I like <laughs> that. Pad Statford. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, but we got to get through a couple more games. Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Steelers improved to 10-0. and 0. Uh, Jake Luton with the four interceptions. They really need Gardner Minshew back bad. He is questionable for Sunday. And then – the big game too, Taysom Hill getting the start at quarterback for the Saints against the Falcons. Saints improve uh, to eight and two. They're now uh, first place in the NFC South comfortably, uh, and they won twenty four to nine against the Falcons team that they didn't look too good against Taysom Hill, and they also didn't look too good offensively either. They got sacked eight times. Well, Matt Ryan got sacked eight times. Three of them by Cameron Jordan, and two of them by Trey Hendrickson, and. You know, there's a lot of people I'm just talking to. They don't know who this guy is. He has nine and a half sacks, tied second most in the league. And, you know, I I guarantee you, majority of people don't even know who Trey Hendrickson is, and he's just lighting it up right now. I mean, I know there was a point in one game this year, he had like three sacks on three plays in a row. This guy's yeah. kind of just come on, come out of nowhere. I Because, I mean, I remember working a few of his games last year at work, and 
I was just like, wow, you know, this guy's pretty impressive. But this guy is really, really consistent. He's been he's been feeding off the fact that the defensive front is so stacked that you have to go up against Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan, yeah, Onya Mata, and then he's that he's that sole guy that gets left out there where he gets to boost his stats up a little bit. But yeah. This Atlanta team, oh, my God. I've never seen a team go down so quickly in my life. They, they went from Super Bowl, should have been champions, to they can't, even, they can't even stay in a quarter of a football game, let alone the entirety of a game. Yeah. Man, uh, how many first-round picks do they have on that roster, too? And they're just, like, just so bad. I mean, and the Saints, they could have won by more than 24 to 9, too. Like, yeah. they, they had a couple of scores, I think, get called back. Um, also, I'll say this about the Saints. Fine, you guys want to win or and be a good team, but you want to rob us of the absolute appointment television and entertainment that Jameis Winston is at quarterback, then I'm just not for it, okay? Sean Payton, sure, go win the game, but I'd like to see Jameis throw a couple interceptions and, and, and throw the ball around the yard. That's just me. I would have liked to see Jameis give the other team a chance. I would have liked to see that. <laughs> but are the – really, though, like you mentioned, Thomas, so Hendrickson's having an awesome year. The Saints' defense has been really good the past, like, three weeks. Are they the, are they the NFC favorites now? Oh, 100%. And they've been the NFC favorites probably for the past two years. And they, they've fallen short both times. You know, they lost to Minnesota, and then they lost to the Rams in the championship game the year before. So this is the year that I didn't pick the Saints to, to represent the NFC in the big game, and now they're probably, you know, there's a good chance they can do it. I, I still think Tampa Bay could be a problem in the playoffs. Um, I, I know they have a tougher schedule down the stretch, but the Saints' defense is really improved over the first couple of weeks. I got to tell you, DeMario Davis – um, Janoris Jenkins, too, ex-Giant, had an interception, balling out. He's been elite, but yeah. I mean, you got to keep in mind too. You play the Saints and the uh, you play the Panthers and the Falcons twice a year each, so that definitely helps you boost your record up just a little bit. And now, you know, Tampa Bay is really their only competition, so it's going to be interesting. I think the Saints are the class of the NFC right now. I'm not sold on Seattle. I'm not sold on Green Bay. To be honest with you, the second best team in the NFC might be the Rams. It really might be the Rams right now. Their, their defense is great, and yeah. they have weapons on offense. They, they they might be quietly the second best team right now. Before our very own eyes, we just don't see it because they get no media attention. And they're, they're a team from L.A. You know? With the new stadium. so Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. But let's move on to Dallas upsetting Minnesota. Uh Vikings were predicted to win this game. Andy Dalton returns three touchdown passes. Zeke had 100 yards. Kirk Cousins had three touchdowns, too. Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen were solid. Thielen leads the league with 11 touchdown receptions. But Dalton Schultz, man, game-winning two-yard touchdown reception. Things are beginning to heat up in the NFC least. And now we have three teams sitting there all together at three and seven with six to go. Every team in the NFC East will be playing meaningful football in the month of December. When was the last time Kyle that Russo? Happened? What, yeah. what happened? When was the last time that ever happened? Um, well, not for the Giants for a while, but Kyle. Okay. <laughs> after watching this game and watching what the Eagles and the Washington football team did, who is your favorite? It's not the Eagles. Who can't win the Eagles. NFC East? <laughs> yeah. Win the NFC East just based on strength of schedule and i think we saw in this dallas 
team that they kind of this was the first game where they really had everything put together for them. Yes, they gave up some big yardage and some big scores to Adam Thielen and a big throw to Justin Jefferson, but the defense played pretty well. And Ezekiel Elliott, which I didn't even know, he snapped like a nine or ten game streak in which he had under 100 yards rushing in the one game that he does this season. They won the football game. That's the key to their success is if Zeke runs well and Andy Dalton does just good enough, they should be able to win the football game. And they have – they don't have anybody really on their schedule left that really uh, – I believe they have like – the Dallas had the easy – Dallas has the easiest schedule left, I believe, right? I think their only tough game is, I want to say, the Seahawks or the Saints. They have them. to – they have to play Baltimore. They don't play the Saints or the okay. Seahawks. That's probably their toughest game left. Yeah, so they have to play Washington this week, obviously Thanksgiving. They go to Cincinnati. That should be a win. They play yeah. San Francisco. That should be a win. Philly, that should be a win. And then the Giants, week 17. That could be that could be the toilet bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl for the <laughs> NFC East. It could that, be that could what be the it game. comes down to because I don't see Philadelphia winning many more, and I don't no. see – No, Philly is – oh, my God. What else. do they do with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia? Is it Wentz or is it Peterson that goes first? Because something's got to give. It's it's Paul's. Rosen. It's Howie Rosen. It's yeah, Howie. yeah, and he is missed on so many players that yeah. you can't even blame Wentz uh, for what he's been put out there with. Like I the think, offensive line can't block. There's yeah. nobody to throw to. Well, they're also all hurt. Half the yeah. half the line is on season-ending yeah. IR. But even if they were healthy, the, the the receivers in which they have out there are not great. Fulgham he still came makes on, really but... questionable decisions, though. Like there are oh, been yeah, a lot that, of pros oh, that, bro, that, that, that like, what are you doing that pick to ta- uh, what was his name? Taki Taki. Uh, yeah, Browns that was, was just it was just a stupid routine throw. It was just he was easily read well, on that play. He che- no because he checked down when he had who did he have open? He had somebody open across the middle of the field. Decides to check down and Taki Taki's like, yes, please. Scores a touchdown. I mean, yep. I don't know. I mean, I, this is from an outsider looking in. I think right now, the pick in the NFC East is the Giants. I don't trust the. I don't trust the Cowboys' defense. I think your guys' defense in New York is serviceable enough to get the job done. If Daniel Jones takes care of the ball, then you guys will be just fine. I know three and seven. Obviously, you have three teams at three and seven, and, the, and then the Eagles at three and six. It really sucks that you're taking a tough spot in a home game. From from a team that's yeah. probably better, and that's not to throw shade on and on anybody, but it's just facts. Like, yeah. would you ra- would you rather watch a nine and seven or eight and eight team in the playoffs or a six and ten team in it the might playoffs? Be, it might be five and eleven. This, it could be. This is um, you know, my my take on this, and you know, I, I said this a few weeks ago quietly over text that the Giants were going to win this division before, um. Right, right after they beat Washington again and improved the two and seven, you know, I kind of made a statement saying they're probably going to win this division because Philadelphia is very vulnerable right now. Uh, you know, Alshon Jeffrey and the Sean Jackson, that was a great pair back in 2013. Not so much now. I know Jackson is still hurt, but, and you have Jalen Rager who's still trying to get acclimated. Miles Sanders is a ticking time bomb for injury wise. And then Dallas Goddard just returned to the field. They don't have Zach Gertz. They're a tough team. I think with our six remaining games, the Giants would have to go three and three. They have to beat Cincinnati this weekend, which they probably will with Ryan Finley starting at quarterback. They're probably going to lose against Seattle. And then you have to win either the Browns game uh, or the Arizona game. Not the Arizona. Or the Baltimore game. I think you have to win one of those three games and then beat Dallas week 17. I think three and three could get us in at six and ten. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't fault them. It's not it's not their fault for you know that that's all they have to do to get into the playoffs. That's all they have to do. But yeah, yeah Tim, you're right. There, NFC West is full of playoff teams <laughs> minus the 49ers. And you argue if 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 the 49ers don't have the injuries, they're not bugged like bugged down yeah. by the amount of players they have hurt this year. They're a playoff team as well. We're talking about a team coming off a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, I don't I don't think one of them's gonna miss out. I think the Rams, Cardinals, and Seahawks all get in. I think all three of them are gonna get in. I mean I think your only other wild card is Tampa Bay or the Saints, whoever doesn't win that division. Uh you mm-hmm. know the East gets one team and I think the the, the North is only going to get the Packers. Uh, I mean yeah I don't think the Vikings are good enough, especially after that loss to Dallas. I think if Minnesota Gabe I think if Minnesota beat Dallas, you could have a discussion that the Vikings could take it away from potentially the Cardinals. But I think those three are getting. But anyway, I just want to make one thing, one uh, statement here. Tom Brady, 199th pick in the 2000 NFL draft. He threw two interceptions to Jordan Fuller last night, the 199th pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Little fun fact. And James, I just want to acknowledge that Ronald Jones was held to 24 rushing yards last night. So congratulations on that. Don't even get me started with the, him and Gronk not doing shit for me last night. This, their whole offense is a crapshoot. You never know who's going to do something for the Bucks offense. And I think Brady is just in love with Antonio Brown. I think he tries oh, to force yeah. him. The, he for, tries to force him the ball way too many times. Yeah. Doesn't one utilize Godwin as much as he should. Just Mike Evans is arguably the best receiver in the NFL. You saw him fight for those extra yards in that touchdown. We had like three guys on him last night. Of course, when I liked the Rams going into that game, of course, but I got burned on the Sunday night game because I liked the Chiefs and then the Raiders yeah. cover. But it's just I, I, I don't know. I, I just really do not know what to think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They either look like world beaters or they look like shit. It's, I think it's really yeah. a question of, can you pressure Tom Brady? If you can put pressure on him, he is just going to fold, and he is just not going to do anything. Oh, Okay, Hopkins is the best receiver. I didn't say Evans is specifically the best. I said he's one of the best. I would take Hopkins as the best receiver in the NFL. Sure, I, I, think, I, I, I like think- that. There's, there's times where Evans plays like the best, but the problem yeah. is Brady only goes to him in the red zone for those one- to two-yard touchdown catches where he has to make you know a jump ball. I think the fact that Chris Godwin is the other receiver on Tampa Bay, that downplays Evans a little bit. As I think if Evans was like the only guy, you know, you can make the argument that you know he would get less a- a attention from the uh, defensive backs. And I, I think that's a weird scenario to put it in because of the amount of talent that Tampa Bay has, but – even last year, you saw it too. Evans' numbers were down because Godwin hadn't burst onto the scene yet. Once he right. did, now Evans' numbers are starting to get more up there again, but not like up there enough. I think if he was on a team like the Browns or, you know, other, well, I think other that, teams. I think that like saying the best, like that whole argument, like the best receiver in the league is pretty objective too. Because I think it, it matters who's throwing them the ball and you know yeah. what kind of offense they're involved in as well. But you you really can't go wrong with DeAndre Hopkins or Mike Evans, like yeah. like either way. Yeah, I agree. I think Hopkins is the best. But one one question before we preview the three Thanksgiving Day games because we are short on time. Uh, what will happen first, guys? A Steelers loss or 
Jets win. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going with the before here. I'm going with eventually we will see a Steelers loss. I don't think we're going to see a Jets win. Well, you know, Frank Gore, uh, he said he can't go out like that. He's, you know, he's 37 years old and you're like a million in the NFL, it seems like. And he really wants a win. And am I like crazy to say that Joe Flacco has looked better with this offense than Sam Darnold has this year? I think I think it's a product of because they want it to be that way. That, that's how yeah. I feel. It's just so oddly coincidental that for the first time ever, the first that the Jets have all been healthy, that's one, this season is when Joe Flacco's coming to a start. And two, in both of these games, even they were even though they were losses, it's arguably Adam Gase's best coached games from start to finish. Yeah. They just look like a whole different team in which you could say, even though Hank joked about it earlier, the Jets had a legitimate chance in this game. They had a legitimate chance against New England. They had a legitimate chance against Buffalo. They just decided to blow it late in the game. They probably should have beat New England, but they didn't. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's a game that's gonna they're gonna hang their heads over and you know potentially say, "Hey, I, we could have won this game." Could they win a game these last six? Sure, they can, they but play, I don't uh, see it. They play New England week 17. They could beat them. That could be it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I see a Pittsburgh loss before a, before a New York win. Well, I yeah. picked this week for our quick pick. Pitt, Pittsburgh's losing Thursday. To Baltimore? It yep. could happen. It could happen. I'm telling so if you. If I'm right, now, it could. We'll see. So, speaking of these uh, Thanksgiving Day games, we have the Lions hosting the Texans on Thursday at 12.30 p.m. The 3-7 and seven Texans against the 4-6 and six Detroit Lions. So we are going to pick these three games. I'll go first for this one. I think the Texans are going to win. I think they're going to win uh, more like a 23-17 type of score. I think Galladay comes back and plays, but on a short week of practice, uh, it's not enough for Detroit to recover from a very disappointing shutout. So that's just my opinion. I like that. Uh, It was interesting. I think last week against the Patriots, Deshaun Watson had like all but like 20 yards of the Texans offense. Like they got nothing going on the ground. He was he was it. But if you think about it, like Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, are there? That's kind of enough, you know, to to win a couple games at least on the offensive side of the ball, uh, or at least beat you. But yeah, I like that. I'm going to take the Texans over the Lions in the first game. James and Kyle, who do you guys got? Uh, Texans over the Lions, twenty-one seventeen. Yeah, I'll take the Texans over the Lions. Uh, let's go twenty-six to seventeen. I just with, without DeAndre Swift, and you saw it. The the Lions have nothing. Carryon Johnson was a failed experiment, and uh, with and Adrian Peterson as well is just it's, he could be there, but he's not gonna he's not gonna be the same back that he once was. So we all have a sweep with Houston. I really want to pick Detroit. I just can't. As soon as I well, as soon as I pick Houston, I'm like, what, whatever I say is just going to be wrong. So yeah. <laughs> look for the Lions win. So the thing is, too, Deshaun Watson, fun fact, has not thrown an interception in the last five games. So since Bill O'Brien got fired, uh, the Texans and Deshaun Watson, they, they've been a much better team. 
we have the Washington football team against the Dallas Cowgirls. And honestly, every time Kyle Russo picks the Washington football team, they do not win, which is why I'm going with Dallas at home on Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, Andy Dalton, his second start. I really don't care who wins this game, to be honest with you. I hope it ends in both teams losing, but obviously that's not an option. Um, I, I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys, um, and they're – I'm not saying they're going to cover, but I, I just don't see Washington winning. I don't know, dude. Like, I like Washington's pass rush. Like, look at their defensive line and what they've actually been able to build. Like, they're, they're like all first-round picks. Like, you talk about how good Chase Young has been in his first year. If they can put pressure on Dallas's, uh, you know, OL here that hasn't been great this year and put pressure on Andy Dalton, I think it, I think they keep it close. I really like Terry McLaurin. Can Alex Smith limit the mistakes? This is incredible quarterback game. Have we not even mentioned this? Alex Smith versus Andy Dalton. Two world beaters here, guys. Uh, I don't know, though. Uh, fuck. I'm going with the football team. Give me the football team. James? Yeah, well, in quick picks, I picked uh, Washington for the upset, and I'm sticking with them. Uh, they're going to win 24-10. Okay, nice. Uh, so two wins in a row for the football team. Kyle Russo, who do you got? I got the football team in this one. Give yeah. me 24-20. So I'm the odd man here. I, I just <laughs> Dallas and Detroit, they host every year. I think one home team has to win. Uh, so that's, that's who I'm going to go with. Um, okay, so the last game that we're going to talk about is – on Thanksgiving night, we have Baltimore at Pittsburgh. The 6-4 and four Ravens travel to the 10-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Andy, why don't we start with you here again? This is a classic rivalry, AFC North matchup, a key game for the Ravens to try to get back on their track. I don't know, man. I, I mean, this the matchup I'm going to be watching for here is is Gus Edwards. Okay, is is their number one back on Thursday? J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram out on the COVID reserve list. Gus Edwards is the only running back on Baltimore's roster that has taken a snap or t- uh, been on the field, taken any carries this year. I think that's going to be huge against this Pittsburgh defense. Will T.J. Watt be able to apply pressure? Are we going to see guys like Mika Fitzpatrick in the secondary be able to come up with some interceptions? I believe he had two on Sunday. I like Pittsburgh here, and I like him to roll. I like Pittsburgh, too. I think they're going to win. I don't see them losing here. They could. Don't get me wrong. Baltimore oh, yeah. could come and uh, you know surprise a lot of people Thursday night. They're very capable of doing that, but with Ingram and – you know, Dobbins on the COVID list and Brandon Williams as well, defensive play. I mean, I just think there's too too much uh, turmoil for them right now. I think they will eventually regain their footing and sneak into the playoffs as a wild card team, but I don't I don't see them winning this game. Uh, the thing that's going to keep Baltimore in this game is going to be their defense. That's going to keep them in this game, and then hopefully Lamar Jackson is not the one to lose it, but to help them overcome the Pittsburgh Steelers and get them to that first loss of the season. But I'm going to pick Pittsburgh in this game. Um they beat them twenty-eight to twenty-four last time. Uh, give me, give me thirty to twenty. That is an interesting factor as well, James. Yes. Who are we going? Uh, with? We're talking about. I'm sorry. Uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Yep. Baltimore. I said it earlier. 
They're giving Pittsburgh the first win. Fonz is going to have a nice Thanksgiving, eating a nice turkey dinner, and seeing his team win. Man, I, I can't thank you guys enough for having me, letting me spew whatever the fuck I, I talk about. Let me let me ramble about sports. This is I honestly I I love what you guys do here. Review and preview. All of your shows are awesome. I love what you guys do here at Review and Preview. It's crazy to think that I, I tuned in one day and commented and, and now I'm appearing on all three of your shows. I think I can't thank you guys enough for letting my crazy ass come on your shows. I can't thank you enough for collaborating with me coming on my show. Um I love this. This was an awesome two hours and 20 minutes. I know we went in a little bit too long. might be my fault for oh, rambling good. a little bit no, too no, much. No but uh, if you guys liked what you heard here, you like what you saw, please like, rate, review, subscribe uh, to The Brew Party. So I'm the host of The Brew Party Podcast. Like that says, follow us on Facebook at The Brew Party Podcast. On Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, we are at The Brew Party. Uh, we release Wednesdays and Fridays, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Uh, Pandora, all of that good stuff. We, we do interviews, we do gambling picks, we do hot takes. Uh, like I said, me and my buddy Ryan, every Thursday is Maloney's Moneyline. That gets released on Friday. And then as well, uh, my interviews. So actually, on Wednesday, I have Sam Cardona, the Girl Who Talks Sports podcast coming. And then Monday, I have Reggie Corbin, one of the best Illinois football running backs of all time, is joining the brew party on Monday, Reggie Corbin. Look out for that. Super excited. We've talked to athletes. We've talked to other podcasters, other bloggers. Thanks for having me, guys. Review and preview. You're doing big things. Looking forward to more collaborations in the future. Look out for more of my dumb comments on their shows coming up the, the rest of the year for sure. But thanks again. Check out The Brew Party on all platforms, www.thebrewparty.com. On behalf of Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, and Andy Hopper, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports. Good night, everybody.